This is the Banks of the Raritan Podcast, presented by Fans First Sports Network. Welcome to the Banks of the Raritan Podcast here on the Fans First Sports Network. As always, I'm your host, Greg Petuto. Being joined once again by Matt Forno here to discuss some Rutgers athletics. And finally, we got some games coming up this weekend. Of course, we got to wait one more week for Rutgers to open up. But plenty more to talk about here. Matt, how's it going? Going well. Excited for uh, week zero. A couple days away. I mean, some some really riveting games uh, on the horizon for us. But football nonetheless, looking forward to it. And, of course, talking Rutgers athletics, Rutgers football. Wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Absolutely. And as for the athletics as a whole, we got a bunch of stuff opening up this week. I believe the soccer team starts um, on Thursday. Field hockey as well starts this weekend. Um, The women's soccer team started last week, I believe. They had a victory over Holy Cross 2-0 before dropping a tough one to Hofstra. Um, That's just an experienced team, though. Like An early season loss like that gets the ears up a little bit, but sometimes for a team like Rutgers, it it'll uh, motivate them a little bit because that's an experienced team that is expected to make noise um, over the course of the year. And along with everything else, the cliche this weekend was that Rutger Park in Harlem turned into Rutger Park. And I hate even making that joke because it's just been (laughs) used so much and it's so corny. But that was the case. We got to see Ace Bailey and Dylan Harper back on the court together. And I know Rutgers fans were excited about that. Yeah, I'm glad you made that joke because I was definitely going to make that joke. Oh, it's hard. Uh, so I enjoyed it. Uh, it's hard. It's, it's I'm so necessary. upset that I did. <laughs> yeah, well, it, I mean, the, the there was this big attention to, uh, to Rutgers during that. I mean, obviously, we when we when we if we want to be uh, uh, literal here, yeah, there was one commit there. I would say that there's a potentially or likely commit there, and Dylan Harper playing as well, but. Just an exciting matchup. I mean, what's better than when basketball in New York City? Uh, it's such a historic court, uh, and the, the kids are so talented. I mean, it's it, it was a crazy score when I saw all these players dropping like 40, 50, oh, yeah. 60 points. I was like, were they playing multiple games or one game? But it was just one game. Uh, I wish I would have loved to have went, but I don't even know if I would have got in. There were so many people there. But, yeah, exciting. Exci- a, a not Rutgers event that certainly people look viewed as a Rutgers event, and I did myself. Yeah, it was a – Again, it was a glorified, um, you know, all-star game of the NBA type, um, you know, 300 points scored. The players got to show off their athleticism. And for, for someone like Ace Bailey, again, the legitimate commit right now of Rutgers, I, it just it flies off the page. I mean, the, um, the NBA Twitter account put together highlight tapes for a bunch of the players, and, and Bailey was one of them, obviously. And just what he's able to do is crazy. And there's no, like, it doesn't matter if the defense being played um, – any of that stuff, just him at the rim and his athletic ability jumps off the page. Um, and then seeing him and Dylan Harper together, whether it be on uh, social media or the fact that they played on the same team, obviously got Rutgers fans excited because that's something that they're hoping to see, you know, next year. Yeah. I mean, when every highlight you I saw kind of before this was in much more of a, you know, a, a serious game, like a game that you weren't going to play dunking from the free throw line, but that's what we were seeing from Ace, which is just remarkable. I mean, sometimes you don't realize truly how talented these 17, 18 year old, maybe I guess 16 year olds in this case, like these, they're kids and they're just freaks of nature when it comes to being athletic. And also just also, again, getting to see them play in like a loose setting, having fun, but also making a name for yourself. I mean, these guys are already well, well known nationally, probably internationally in some, at some level, but Ace, I feel like 
I don't know if he, I don't think he was the leading scorer, but he's just I've seen him on I see him on Twitter, I see him on social media. I'm sorry, X. I see him everywhere, and it's 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 random news sources. It's other people talking about him. It's just really great to know that we have a guy who's really bought in to to Rutgers and and, and continues to just do better as as the weeks progress. I mean, everything he did, the highlight reel I saw that the M, the NBA NBA.com on, on Twitter or X posted, it was like 15 dunks, and all of them were just unbelievable. And then you had Dylan, of course. It was very cool. Um, and I and I love the – I saw some – I maybe it might have just been one account, but somebody was like, I heard that Dylan Harper silently committed to Rutgers. And in that tweet, I saw them hashtag chop. And I was like, all right, well, I don't – I mean, I don't know if this is real or not, but yeah, you know, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll believe it just because it's fun. But you know, we, who knows, who knows what to believe anymore? But it's great to see uh, them two play together, and I, I, again, just, just really cool. Um, and uh, I don't know if we want to talk more about the, the 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 summer classic, but it was, it was, it was fun. I'm glad that they both played. Yeah, especially in an event like that, you know, the NBA um, sponsors it, and obviously that's something Slam Magazine puts together every year, but. It's for, you know, the top players in the country. Rutgers having that in the 2024 class, hopefully two of them soon. It's not something they've been a part of in recent history. And to have them be such a focal point um, was cool to see, too, because obviously um, both Bailey and Harper being top three players now. We're one and two now, two and three, of course, with Cooper Flag um, reclassifying, which is another why he's a, he's an absolute freak of nature, but which that's a story for another day. But... Just seeing them have that kind of um, attention was pretty cool too. A lot of Rucker fans were there when they were if they were able to get in. Um, and yeah, as for Dylan Harper, it's it's interesting, right? It's gonna be hard. It's gonna be a long way for Rutgers fans because I don't know what exactly his timeline is. Um, he's made hints at different things. Most recently, it was twenty four seven Sports said that he's gonna commit either after or during the high school basketball season. So still a few more months until that happens, but. Man, everybody has him going to Rutgers. It kind of feels like that too good to be true thing. Like it's it's at the point where if he doesn't commit to Rutgers, you know, he flips to Duke somehow. Like any any catastrophe, it would be an absolute just disaster for Rutgers and their fans at this point. Even with you know Ace still coming. And I think something else that's interesting is I see a lot of random college basketball accounts on social media. They'll always take like a screen grab of whether it's twenty four any recruiting site, and you'll see the top three top four guys and you'll see ace of course with the Rutgers next to it. And then Dylan with the hundred percent Rutgers from a couple of uh, recruiting analysts. And then you'll see people in the replies being like Rutgers, Rutgers, I don't get it. And then you'll see your other replies saying, Oh, that's what NIL can do for you. And I, that, that's something where I scratch my head. I don't know if you have any, if no, know anything that I don't know, but I don't think either of those guys are drawn to Rutgers because of NIL and the potential of money. I mean, these are kids who are going to go on to the NBA, most likely make millions of dollars. But when I look at someone specifically like Dylan Harper, like his connection is with his brother and being from New Jersey. Ace, on the other hand, I guess there might could have been an NIL attraction, but I don't think, I mean, I, I, I want us to, and I hope we have the type of backing to attract players that way, but I don't think that's the case for either of them. So it's funny that you see people saying that because – we aren't Kentucky. We aren't Duke. We aren't UNC. We don't have those massive NIL pools yet. And I, even if we did, I'm not sure that's the reason why these players are so interested in coming here. So that was something that I thought was interesting because these, I mean, if you ask any other, when I, I'll never forget when I saw Ace commit and I was like, what the heck, a five-star? And then you see top five player. Now he's only grown. It's, it's interesting, but I think it's buying into the culture. I don't necessarily think it's 
NIL that's driving this. And it's, it's only something that's just so exciting to continue to see random accounts tweeting out positive things about Rutgers or I guess it's not necessarily positive, but at the end of the day, it's, it, they're committed or ACE is committed and that's all that matters. I don't care what you think about it. It's, it's just the truth. Yeah. I think you kind of hit it with Dylan, especially when um, he put out his top five and it's kind of been narrowed down. It feels like Rutgers or Duke at this point, obviously Rutgers being a favorite according to many people, but even if Rutgers has, you know, an NIL pull, which, you know, they do, but they don't, it's not stronger than Duke. And that's kind of what debunks the point of everybody on Twitter saying that. Um, Rutgers has definitely done well in improving NIL. They've shown great uh, passion for it. They want to build it up. Obviously, this goes back to Geo Baker being a voice of it when he was in college. But even since then, um, they're, bringing, they, they're bringing somebody in-house to work on the staff um, at the school in the athletic department that has to do with NIL, kind of like a general manager type. They've really tried to build this up with all the advertisements. But at the end of the day, they're not Duke. And to say that, you know, Dylan Harper would, would go there because of NIL, he's going to get paid anywhere. When you're a top three player, you're going to make your money no matter where you go. So for Rutgers, he has that family tie you mentioned, obviously being from Jersey, um, his brother being there. Ace committing was interesting, especially doing it so early. So that's a sense where, you know, maybe he did look at it and, and buy into the culture and, you know, like Steve Peichel, who, again, he's a great guy, he's a great recruiter. So it's easy to buy in there. But no, I don't think uh, NIL has too much to do with it because, like I said, at the end of the day, if you go, if you're a top player and you go somewhere, you're going to get paid. Definitely. Uh, I think I think something else that was cool, and and just one going back in time to when we were talking about women's soccer, uh, it, it was a bummer, obviously, that they lost. But you know, we were just talking about good talent at basketball. They just named three of of the girls to the top. I think 100 players: uh, Riley Tierney, uh, number 61; uh, Gia Vacari, number 32; and then Emily Mason, number 30. And Emily Mason was also added or, or named a. Uh, onto the watch list for pretty much like the national player of the year for, for women's soccer. So, I mean, another Jersey girl, I don't know if all th- three of these are, I know Riley Tierney is, uh, but you know, they, they, they may have lost, but the, the talent on, on Rutgers women's soccer might be some of the most consistent in the entire university. So just wanted to highlight that. And then of course there were some other uh, uh, free agents. I uh, just wanted to add that got signed to some teams. Uh, I know that uh, 03 or Olakule Fatukasi just recently got signed by the Chiefs. Yeah, I think Kirkshank yeah. signed with the Steelers as well. And I think Tyreek Maddox-Williams also with the Eagles. So guys who are still fighting for a chance in the NBA, you know, there's been a lot of news for Rutgers players. If you look at the way the team has performed, like you never expect, you know, losing records, not great offenses, sometimes bad defense, but they still find ways to make names for themselves in the NFL. So I think that's just a testament to some of these guys that come through. You know, they went through so many different coaching staffs that some of these guys are just – you know, they're going to work hard no matter what, and I love continuing to see them progress through the next level. Um, but then just to jump back to Rutgers basketball, I think the team's back from their trip from Africa, or at least they're done there. And it seemed like that was a really overall positive experience. Another good, seemed like a good thing that the program did in a number of ways. And I know it was also good for Cliff. I think that off, off, uh, allowed him an opportunity to possibly make some NIL money. I don't know. I know when you're like an international student or a foreign student, you can't make it in the U.S. Some some law, well, I'm not exactly sure what it is right yeah, NCAA. some issues with your visa when you're over here playing. Yeah, so that was uh, nice for them, and it was ni- it was nice for fans to get excited, maybe see some numbers being put up. But again, the competition um, wasn't so great. But at the end of the day, the games didn't matter; they were exhibitions. This gave the team a chance, you know, for two weeks to go on a great trip 
and bond, which to me is the most important thing. Get this group together, this locker room together. And second, Steve Peichel got a chance to mess around with different lineups and different rotations, which is really the most important thing um, going into the season. And, you know, you mentioned um, the women's soccer team to backtrack a little bit. I mean, just the talent there is incredible. You look at um, the field hockey team. I mentioned they start up this weekend. They have seven ranked opponents on their schedule. Um, so they're playing a national schedule. You know, the men's soccer are coming off a Big Ten championship, uh, Big Ten tournament championship, excuse me. So there's success all around in Rutgers sports. And that doesn't even mention, you know, the baseball team, um, the men's basketball team, all these other teams, lacrosse, the, both lacrosse programs are very strong. So it's always funny when you see these reports or these stories coming out about Rutgers in the Big Ten because obviously football's king, but, you know, this is a, this is a school that belongs in the Big Ten and they're showing it really all across the board. Yeah, the, the uh, nearly every program is relevant in the Big Ten, or at least has shown steady improvement. I don't think any program, I guess we can point to football, but everything else, I think, has either, they haven't they haven't uh, gotten worse, uh, specifically, like, I don't think people were talking about Rutgers baseball three years ago, or four years ago, or at least people were, but, you know, it wasn't a national thing, we weren't seeing players necessarily getting drafted, or or on ESPN, I think there were some top ten plays from players. Like it's just, it's just great to see. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always a, a big fan of all of that. And I guess you know we're talking positives, and I guess we can get to the one. I don't really consider it a negative. I just think of it a distraction. It's your, it's your, it's your uh, expected negative Rutgers story a week or two before the football season starts. It's not even about football. It's about the Iowa State transfer, Jeremiah Williams. So, of course, we talk about sports betting a lot, but, you know, it's not something players can do. Unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, it's just can understand the conflict of interest there. But, you know, we, we can never we can never stay clear until the season. There's always going to be some sort of quote-unquote bombshell that comes out. And, of course, this is that one for this year. Yeah, this was an interesting one because – it didn't happen when he was at Rutgers, obviously. He just transferred in. He never played at Iowa State, obviously. He was hurt, but he was out there. And he was making wagers underage, which was obviously the issue and part of the investigation, not to mention he was an athlete. There's a couple things that here that I kind of keyed in on. First, he's not going to play this year anyway because he, was, he wasn't going to get granted that waiver by the NCAA being a two-time transfer in the same year. So they didn't have to worry about losing him on the court this year. But the big one to me is, you know, Steve Peichel's not a dumb guy. You know, he's not somebody who's who's blind to things like this. And this investigation has been ongoing because they nailed some guys in the Iowa State football program as well, and Iowa, University of Iowa. So this is an investigation that's been ongoing. I don't have any facts on it, but I'd be very surprised if Steve Peichel was just blind to this the whole time and didn't know about this investigation or anything like that because there's some saying, you know, I oh, should be off, out of the program, he should be off the team, all this other stuff, which at the end of the day, if, if Peichel didn't know about it, he could make his own decisions. But kind of find it hard to believe that that he wouldn't know about it. He might have known. A, again, it's so hard for me to to think about what's even going on there. I don't know what the due because, diligence is. Like, I don't know where you draw the line. Like, I, I, I don't know how long this probe was out there for, when it became a legal issue, if that's what's happening. But to see, like, he this the charges, I think it's a misdemeanor, and I didn't know misdemeanors necessarily misdemeanor, could come yeah. with like a year in jail or a year or two in jail. And I mean, my f- one friend made a joke. It's like, all right, well, if he does go to jail, does that count as his year that he had to sit out before right. playing for Rutgers? And it's right. like, I think if he ends up going to jail, he's probably <laughs> not playing for Rutgers. But I do hope I don't I don't foresee that happening. I hope it. I don't think it will. Um, I, you know, it's I, 
sports betting is just such a cloudy thing. Obviously, when you're a player, it's an issue. But I guess on a lighter note, I don't know what's going on in Iowa. It, it, it can't be that boring where you're betting on your own teams in some sports and doing it underage. But like Iowa, the state of Iowa's got to figure it out. No, I mean, especially, going on there. especially you got two colleges within big time colleges within range of each other. There should be yeah. there should be some things to do out there. I mean, even if it's yeah. uh, you know all cornfields outside of the the two big cities, you still got to have some nightlife in the college towns. But right. you're right. There is always. Hopefully, a, hopefully it gets it gets sorted. I mean, I I I thought immediately once I heard the story, I'm like, okay, they're they're gonna not proceed. I don't know where. I don't know if you dismiss him or whatnot, but. Or I guess we'll see what happens. And it doesn't help. I feel like there's not necessarily a sense of urgency because, like we said, he's not going to be eligible this year. Uh, so what do you do? I don't know. Does it open a spot for somebody else so late in the transfer cycle? But we'll see what happens. But it's it's just one of those things. End of August, here comes a bad story for Rutgers. If it's not the credit card scandal, it's a paintball incident that happens in the season. It's always something. Uh, so... You know, at least we hopefully we got it out of the way now. We can get focused on college football. And at least it wasn't football related. That's the other um, yeah. the other good thing that came out of this, that it was a basketball story, not necessarily about the football team, who just went through their second scrimmage on Saturday, scrimmage on Saturday, excuse me, and Shiano spoke again. And I got to say, it was another short press conference, but I talked last week about his tone being a bit different. Um, it sounded a little more positive this time around. And that's what I was happy to see him kind of take on keep that tone keep that he still seemed um you know unsatisfied which is good but talked more about the positives especially with Gavin at, um at the quarterback position who he said was improving said looked good and he said the overall scrimmage was better i had a guy on twitter was was tweeting at me we were going back and forth a little bit obviously not a Gavin Wimsat fan with what he was saying but you know saying that Shiano has said he's looked bad and you know, he's not a gamer. You know, he's a junior quarterback. Why we're talking about him like he's a freshman. And a lot wrong there with what this guy was saying, considering Gavin's 19 years old and he's a redshirt sophomore. He entered, obviously, as a high school senior just months after playing in high school games. And saying he's not a gamer, he's played in 12 games. That's 12 appearances. Obviously making less starts because he's played some games where he didn't start. You, you have no idea what this kid is to this point. And Rutgers fans have all the reason to be excited because of his physical tools. So to come out and say, you know, he's not a gamer and he's not the guy, he's not the answer. Why are we talking about him? Like whatever, he's a junior. It just doesn't make any sense to me. This is a kid that fans should be excited to see what he could do over the course of a season. Yeah. I, I, well, I just remember when they got the commit from Gavin and then so, so excited. I couldn't believe it. Was so pumped uh, watching his tape and what he was, the talent that he has is undeniable. It's there. You can't take, I mean, unless he just stops working out and stops playing football, he'll maybe lose it, but he can run, he can throw. He's a he's a big body. He's an athlete. There's, there's no denying that. Uh, and then of course he comes early out of high school. I couldn't believe what I was reading. It was, it was undeniable. He's, he bought into the program. He wants to be here. He moved his whole family. I think his, his mom came with him to New Jersey. Yeah. He's definitely committed to the program. Now, if, if you want to question if Gavin Winston's a gamer or not, I think you need to look nowhere else than his first year, technically as a 17 or 18-year-old that should have been in high school, comes in on fourth down on the road against Illinois and completes a pass to Bo Melton that ultimately leads to, I believe, the game-winning drive against them. And 
he's a gamer. He's he's definitely a gamer. You advanced to next last season, and I don't. I can't blame him for last season. I can't blame Gavin Winstead for last season. The offense was a mess for a number of reasons. We can't blame Sean Gleason anymore. Obviously, we have to focus on uh, what Kurt Sriracha and Greg Shano are going to do. But there was no flow into the offense. You were you were you were running. You, there was no consistency. You never knew what you were doing. You never knew who the quarterback was going to be. Uh, and, and Gavin was also hurt a lot of last season. So he played one year where he was technically still a high school senior. Last year, he didn't have an offense coordinator really for the entire year, I would I would say. And he was hurt. And he was and, and, and there was like a three or four quarterback carousel that was going on. So I, I'm still very confident with Gavin Wimsett. Like you mentioned, redshirt sophomore, he's going to improve. And what Greg Shano did point to was he showed improvement in the red zone. Uh, and that's where the field shrinks and it's tougher to play. And he sees him controlling the offense, making decisions, protecting the ball, which I think is most important. So um, there's obviously more players we'll talk about, but Gavin is a guy who, if, the, if we want to con- improve on offense, it needs to come with him being quarterback. So definitely, I believe Greg Shana made the right decision announcing him as the quarterback. Twitter can say whatever they want. He's definitely our best option. I don't think there's any question about it. And if he's healthy, I'm excited to see what he can do with his legs as well because he's certainly a mobile quarterback, and I want to see him you know, on some read options, busting some big runs. Yeah, I've said it at length. You know, it's finally he just named somebody, and that might be the Kirk Soraka effect coming in, maybe making a decision, or maybe just Greg Shiano wanted to you know, end the talk because he is the best option, like you said. And and people knew that back in the spring. I, I'll admit that was a little early, so I don't want to you know get too crazy with it. But I couldn't take another year of training camp goes on. The end of training camp, you're going into the last week before the game. You still don't know who the quarterback is. It just it didn't make any sense. But he said some good things about Gavin. Obviously, good things about the defense that should be stout. The offensive line, he said, it, it's starting to come together, but he still doesn't have his five guys yet, which is interesting because I spoke on the um, the tackles should be set and the center with Ireland Brown. The guards are going to be interesting to see what he does there, but I hope he has five guys there because it's all about consistency, and that's where the quarterback comes into play, but he needs this offensive line to gel and get some snaps together. Agreed. I, I agree. It's funny. We're, we're so happy he announced – a quarterback but now it's like well can he announce the offensive line like yeah <laughs> we, we, we just want to know who the starting rock who who's who's gonna who's gonna be the guy going back to the quarterback situation i don't think we knew truly who the starting quarterback was going to be for the first game last season against boston college i think i said no. the last podcast until the first drive because i remember if i'm not mistaken maybe the second drive even yeah i think they, they they all played all th- all three. That includes Johnny Ling and, and I remember. I think it was. I just remember being outside Alumni Stadium in, in Chestnut Hill, looking at my phone and being like, "Holy crap! Um, what's his face? Um, Noah Vedral is not playing. He's out with like a shoulder injury." And it didn't say who was going to start, but the assumption was, "Oh, Gavin's going to start. Gavin's going to start." And I don't even know if he got in on that first drive. Uh, so it's funny that we're talking about figuring out the offensive line and we know the quarterback this year we we would never been having this conversation last year but offensive the offensive line is going to be a bit is i I don't want to say the the biggest oh it could be the biggest x factor on offense that the quarterback play is probably the biggest but the offensive line is the unit that we need to be the most consistent throughout the entire year i think there's a lot of running backs you know let's god forbid anybody gets hurt on a different position like we have depth Maybe not proven depth, but, you know, Evan Simon has played if, if he needs to play at all. Obviously, we know Johnny Langan go back there in quarterback. We don't we don't want that, but it's, right. it's, it's possible. <laughs> but 
we, we need the offensive line outside of injuries to be consistent game to game. And that's obviously going to start with, with the way the season's going to start with the first three games. If we can keep that unit together and then they build confidence along with the rest of the offense, it's going to, it's going to create a nice foundation for the team. And I know I've, 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 I've made a post about it, a player I'm interested in watching and maybe I'm just wrong that maybe he isn't going to be playing or make, make a start, but if I remember Reggie Sutton just being a huge, huge weapon on the offensive line at the guard position. So, you know, I, I can understand someone that's coming back from just a serious, potentially life-threatening injury. Um, it was, I think it was just his knee, uh, but it, it was a football, maybe not life-threatening, but a football, football career-ending injury. Yeah, yeah. He's just a guy that I just remember reading such high praise about. So there's definitely talent there and size, which we haven't had in the past, but yeah, it's going to be important. Because I think they were rotating in guys last season. I think we were seeing – there might have been injuries, but it seems like we have the center solidified and the tackles. Maybe not the tackles, but I think we have at least two of the five solidified. But that's not enough. We, we, we need to know who it's going to be. Hopefully these guys can, can – you know cont- maybe they're competing so well and the defensive line is also giving them a, a hard time in a good sense because there are some really great defensive lines out there in the Big Ten. But, yeah, hopefully we can figure out the offensive line um, – because it's it's just so important, obviously. Yeah, I could. Holland Pierce will have to move to the left side. Um, Ireland Brown's going to play center. Those are your two, and it would seem like Curtis Dunlap Jr. is going to be the right tackle. But again, he could play one of those guard positions. That might be a sense where they try. They're trying to mix and match some guys because they bring back some depth too, which is nice. I, I'm curious to see how Jacob Allen kind of fits in. You know, he was a a top player in Jersey coming out. He's only a sophomore, so still some some ways to go, especially playing offensive line in the Big Ten. But he's another big kid, and I think he's going to get some snaps. But he, he probably won't start this year. He should be in line maybe next year. Um, but they just have a lot of talent. They have a lot of bodies. It, it feels like all over the field they have more depth than they have in recent years. But I agree about the offensive line. First of all, you got a young quarterback back there. you got to protect him. But you need these wide receivers to be able to run routes. I just remember looking at some games when Bo Melton was there, and I'm like, this guy is so electric. But there's just times where he didn't have time to run his route or, you know, the quarterback didn't have the arm strength to get it down the field to him. And I'm like, this guy would be – he would put up astronomical numbers if he played at a different program. Again, not to say anything, you know, too negative about Rutgers. He was a great – great for Rutgers when he was there. But that's what kind of Gavin has. He has that arm strength to get the ball down the field. If he has some time and these receivers can run routes, I mean, Soraka's going to have some options within the offense. Definitely. I mean, going back to Jacob Bowen – I think the last time we landed such a high-profile offensive lineman in-state, at least one that comes to mind, uh, I don't know if you remember, I think it was the class of 2017, Mika Clark. He was like the second or third-ranked player in New Jersey. I think behind, like, it might have been like, that might have been the class, no, I don't think it was Justin Short, but I think Drew Singleton might have been in it, or uh, or uh, Richard Gary, one of the guys from Paramus Catholic. Either way, um, I just remember Mika Clark, like, never saw the field and wasn't with the program like after two years. I do not think that's the case with Jacob Allen, but I just want to make sure like when we do land these high profile sought after in-state talent that they stay here because we can't, we've struck out in the past couple of classes with guys like I think Car- Carrie Banton and Elijah Clark and some other guys who came in as four stars. I think uh, there was either a linebacker, linebacker from Philly, Anthony Joseph or Johnson. Like these guys who Anthony are getting, Johnson, yeah. are it, it might prove that 
whether you're a three star or four star or five star, it doesn't, I mean, it matters definitely if you're a five star. Uh, but after you get away from that, it's just a ranking. Like it's, it's going to change when you get to the college level. But Jacob Allen is one of those guys that I'm pretty sure enrolled early. I've seen him on the sideline. I don't know if he's been healthy, but yeah, he's a guy that I want to see. But at the same time, I haven't seen his name come up. Um, and it doesn't seem like maybe he'll get into the rotation if, if there's any games where we have some time or there's like a gap in the, or, you know, we've separated from maybe Wagner or something like that where we can get these guys in because it is valuable to, for them to get some playing time. But yeah, definitely Jacob Bounds, another guy. And I know we were talking about receivers. Another guy I covered in an article of, of players who might be floating under the radar, or flying under the radar. Uh, one guy that, you know, I, I wouldn't have even considered is a true freshman in the class. I think he's from Long Island, Ian Strong. I just keep seeing his name. I haven't seen anything like on tape or on film that says, hey, this is going to be a guy. But I love when we're hearing young guys are making a positive impression in camp because sometimes it is the under the under the radar guys that that rise to the top. And again, we need that from the running back or receiver position. And another guy that I keep hearing great things about, you know, we do have talent on defense, but Robert Longerbeam is another guy who I think, I don't know if he plays in the, in the slot or if he's just a guy outside, but great. You know, we know Max Melton's there. We know that uh, we have uh, Kenshaw Abraham. He's down at the cornerback position, but want them these guys can continue to compete because obviously we know in the Big Ten there are some great threats out there at the wide receiver or, you know, opposing offenses that want to run fast-paced offenses. So great to see improvement on that side of the ball as well. Yeah, Longerbeam's going to be that key on the opposite side of Melton at the cornerback position. But as for receivers, I think Shiano's done well recruiting, whether it be in-state or out-of-state. He's obviously he's hit Florida very hard the past few years, and he's done that well in 2024 as well. But the guys here, you mentioned Ian Strong, um, Dylan Braithwaite's got some speed. Last year was Rashad Rochelle. We saw him in a couple games um, make an impact. He's recruited very well, but he's also hit the, the portal hard. Obviously, Jaquay Jackson this year and Nassim Brantley to kind of fill those roles while these young guys progress. So I like what Shiano's been doing in recruiting and in the transfer portal because that's how you obviously build a program, right? You need that overlap. And to have two guys come in this year to maybe bolster the wide receiver position into the recruiting of these guys, get them going for next year or the year after. Because, again, freshmen, true freshmen, it's tough. There, there aren't many Samuel Browns out there that are going to come in to make an impact as true freshmen. Obviously, on the defensive side of the ball, Moses Walker was going to be that guy, but he got hurt. So he's going to probably make an impact this year in his first year. So I think Shiano's done that very well, and he's used the word inconsistent to describe the group. He didn't really say much about them this past Saturday, but to me, again, it's all connected, obviously, and that's what offense is all about. You need the line to give time to the quarterback. Quarterback's got to get the ball to the receiver, so it'll be interesting to see what Soraka does because there's pieces there, and they just kind of got to put the puzzle together. There's still so many question marks on that side of the ball, really outside of the running back room, in my opinion. Yeah, and one other player I think I read about, and it's, you know, I know it's the kick, uh, the, just a kicker, but Jay Patel, keep hearing great things about him. Getting consistent points on the board, even if it's just field goals, yep, and just important. knowing we're going to make our extra points also is, I think, great. And I like that we have some. He came in and he's he earned. I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe he was announced as the starter, or at least is trending yeah. towards being announced. I think that's very good for the team. You know, we, we lost a key special teams player in Adam Corsack, but you know, if we can get that back from a, a place kicking place kicker perspective, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to that. And a young guy coming in, making a name for himself. You know, it, it's obviously it's, it's your kicker. You don't think about it that much, but 
I never felt comfortable when we were lining up for field goals. You know, so, sometimes we would make long ones, we'd miss short ones. If we can get consistency from the kicker position, I think that will be a, a real, an X factor in the game, especially just a, a team that just needs to score points. You know, yeah, <laughs> we need right. to stop punting and scoring points. Wherever they could come from. Yeah, so great, happy to hear about that. And, uh, yeah, I think that this – I feel like, at least according to the media and the interview from Greg Schiano, this past scrimmage was there, – there were positive takeaways. Obviously, we're concerned about the offensive line, wide receiver position, but – we kind of take a look away from that. Everything else is looking pretty solid or, you know, at least improvement. I don't think it's going to be tough to do worse than last season offensively. So I mean, that any would type be, of improvement. It'd be pretty hard to do that. Yeah. It'd be pretty hard to do that. And you had Jay Patel. I mentioned him last week. He's a, he's got some leg on him. Like I said, I covered him in high school and Shiano did name him the starter. Confirmed that again on Saturday in the scrimmage. So it's all about points. You know, Corsak was so, so good, and he was such a weapon. But the problem is he's on the field too much. So hopefully this year, Rutgers doesn't see the punter as much, and maybe they can attempt more field goals. But it's going to be a process. That's why the schedule opening up against Northwestern is a positive for them, in my opinion, to try and get your um, try and get yourself going in a game that they should kind of win handily. Um, but it, it was good to see Shiano say positive things. Like I said, I, I like his demeanor this um, training camp. It seems like no nonsense in my opinion. Like I haven't heard much of those cliches, any of that coach speak coming from him because he knows this is an important year. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't want to pronounce his name incorrectly, but Pat, Pat Flaherty, I think is the offensive co- or the offensive line coach's name. Yep. This is a guy, NFL experience. I think coached those giants teams, at least one or two, maybe both of the Super Bowl teams, both had great offensive lines. Uh, and it's funny that we're hearing that we don't, have consistency yet at the offensive line position because I feel like this guy is is a good coach. You know, we're going to find out in a couple Saturday in a couple of weeks if that's true. But I think that's funny that we we have this unit that I think really has a coach that can get them on the right track, and we're still looking for that consistency. But I, I think it's important to we're talking about the players and we talk about Greg Schiano, but I I do think. I know I don't think this is going to be the most innovative offenses that we see, or we're going to see maybe we'll call it quote unquote modern offenses compared to what we see at like Ohio state or even a team like Maryland. Like I, I don't think we're going to see those type of offenses, but I do think, and one thing I, I think, I don't know who posted it. I don't know if it was Aaron Brightman or somebody else, but if what one thing that Kurt Soraka is able to do is control the clock and control the ball and limit turnovers. And we saw that at Minnesota and I wouldn't consider Minnesota a high flying offense, but a team that's going to run the ball, control the clock, run play action. Uh, so, you know, there's been success in Minnesota. And I think before that he was at Penn state, like, Solid offenses, solid teams, teams that typically don't find ways to beat themselves. So, you know, we talk a lot about the players in Shiano, but I think it's important to remember those. Those are two key hires that I think will hopefully pay dividends as the season and hopefully a couple of years progresses. Before we get to my interview with Brian Fonseca of NJ Advanced Media, we'll take a short break. Attention, sports fans. Are you a fan of an NFL team? Do you feel passionate about your team and want to be there week one to cheer them on? Or maybe you know somebody who wants to be there week one and this would make a great gift for them. Well, you're in luck. Fans First Sports Network is giving away four free tickets to the week one NFL game of your choice worth up to $5,000. The rules are simple to enter. All you have to do is go to contest.fansfirstsports.com and fill out the appropriate information. That's it. 
Once you've done that, you've been officially registered to win the four free tickets to any week one NFL game of your choosing. So what are you waiting for? Go enter for your shot at seeing your favorite team in action. The contest will end on September 4th. Once again, visit contest.fansfirstsports.com and fill out the appropriate information if you want to enter. I am now joined by Brian Fonseca of NJ Advanced Media to break down a little Rutgers football and look into their schedule this year. Brian, how are we doing? I'm doing great, Greg. Thanks so much for having me on. It was uh, really fun to do this with you last year, so glad to be back on with you. Absolutely. I appreciate you coming back on. And during that talk last year, um, we sat here and there really wasn't a ton of of good things to say. You know, there, there's no sugarcoating that. And even uh, preseason, where things are supposed to be, that positive mindset, there really wasn't a ton. And obviously, it played out on the field. That's a year that Rutgers and their fans would like to forget. This year seems a little bit different. There might be a little more excitement, I should say, especially around the fan base, whether that be, um, you know, Gavin being named the starter, um, new changes, um, additions to the coaching staff. You know, the defense is supposed to be strong this year. Is that fair to say? Is it also fair to say that, you know, Greg Schiano kind of feels that this needs to be an improvement? This is his fourth year back. Now he's starting to get his guys in that, you know, Rutgers kind of has to take a step this year. Sure, absolutely. I think there's a couple of reasons for for some hope if fans want to latch on to that and that the defense that was pretty good last year is bringing back so many people. They've added more people to create some depth. Uh, they bring back, if not, if not the entire, then almost the entire defensive coaching staff. I want to say the entire one off the top of my head. Um, Joe Harrison, Yak is back for his second year and he's a stud defensive coordinator. Uh, he showed that last year. So I think that side of the ball has a chance of being, very, very good. Um, that depends, obviously, on the offensive side of the ball. But I think this, the floor for that for the defense is relatively high. And when you have that, especially for a Shannon coach team, I think that gives you a chance of uh, do, you know competing against most teams you play. The offense, obviously, um, there's re- reason for hope in that there was a lot of change. You bring back, you bring two very experienced position coaches in Dave Brock and Pat Flaherty. You bring back an offensive coordinator that's been around that you believe can develop your quarterback, and you're paying him very handsomely to do so. So yes. <laughs> you better hope that he's that he's gonna you know make his make make the money worth it. Um, and then you have Gavin Wimsett, who is the potential for his quarterback that everyone hopes you know pulls through. And I think that Greg naming him the starter early kind of get some juice to that i think really because people aren't worried about a quarterback anymore they're worried about and excited i think to see him i certainly am pretty uh, excited to see him play for the first time as a bona fide starter against northwestern i think it's a good opportunity to um for that, that to be the opponent um so i think generally that there should be expectations of improvement just because like you said it's the fourth year greg's been around he's built the pipeline uh that he likes to refer to a lot uh, to it to a, a, a point where you should be expecting it's almost entirely guys he's recruited um, to a point where you should expect them to be competing against these teams. Um, whether they will or not, I don't know. The schedule that we're going to discuss is very wonky in, in many different ways. Um, and I think that, frankly, the bar of improvement is weird, right? You probably have to get to five wins or six wins because they had four wins last year. But if you ask me, the, the way the schedule is, you have to pretty much hope everything goes right for you to hit six wins this year just because of we'll break it down but I, I think everything has to go right and as i've said this i said this to many people i said this on a couple of podcasts by now but at Rutgers, things just don't always go right ever almost never aside from maybe the 06 football season the 76 basketball season thing and this is not just a Rutgers thing this is an everywhere thing 
something's always going to happen. So uh, unless workers has a very, very fortunate season, a bowl game, I think um, is, is, is a, a goal that I can't see them reaching. You know, it is an interesting schedule when looking at it and breaking it down. And it, and it starts really in the beginning, the first eight games or so um, before they kind of hit that gauntlet at the end. But let's dive in this, um, this way. I, like I said, I broke it down a little bit. Um, and my first category, just to get them out of the way, we got uh, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State. Um, I call those cover games. You know, if you're a gambler out there, you're looking if Rutgers can stay within the number. Those aren't games that you're going to, in my opinion, you're obviously not going to compete and you're not going to win those games, especially Penn State, which they never, uh, they've had real bad, they can't score against Penn State. You know, for some reason, Penn State loves to come in and really beat up Rutgers and they're supposed to be even better this year. Maybe, you know, the best defense in the nation. Um, So those are my cover games. You know, if Rutgers can keep any of them close within um, that number. And I know fans are going to be looking at that Michigan game. Um, and just because of recent history, you know, in 2021, they went up to Ann Arbor and were able to keep that game close. Last year, they had a lead at halftime. Obviously, we know what happened in that second half. But is there any game here that can kind of keep within the nu- uh, the number, I would say, whatever that might be when the time comes? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hard to predict. You know, these are three top 10 teams, three national championship contending teams, probably. I think it's fair to say. Um, so it's a tough ask. I think that what Rutgers fans should hope for and have been hoping for is that like you said, the cover is a good way to put it. Um, you just can't get blown out by 50 points by all three of them. You know, just Ohio State is obviously the opponent that happens to do that the most, and they're coming to uh, Shai Stadium this year. You'll keep it a somewhat competitive game. You know, keep it within three touchdowns entering the fourth quarter or something. I don't think people are going to expect to win those games or really come very close, but at least make it somewhat interesting for a decent amount of time. I think that's really... Uh, I, I know people are hopeful that, like you mentioned, that Michigan history of recent years, that they can go into Ann Arbor and do something similar. I just think that Michigan is so talented and Ohio State is so talented and Penn State is so talented that and very few teams are going to have a chance to compete with them. And I just think Rutgers is not at the point in its rebuild as a program to um, to do that. Yeah, those are those are quick ones to just get out of the way early. Like we said, there's no uh, no sense spending too much time on on those games right now. But then you look in the other way, games that Rutgers have had, they've been on the, the right side of a lopsided victory um, in the non-conference, being Temple and Wagner, both back on the schedule. Um, again, we won't spend too much time on the Wagner game, obviously. That's expected to be another lopsided game um, for a team that's really had trouble beating anybody, let alone you know a Big Ten team like Rutgers. But the Temple game is kind of interesting, only because obviously the blowout a couple years ago, and then Temple came in with a little urgency last year. 16-14, Rutgers was able to escape. Um, that's the perfect word to use in terms of that game. That's got to be something on their minds from last year, I would assume. Maybe they slept walk a little bit into that because of the previous year, but that's something they can't let happen again on their home field. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's not not a Wagner-esque result. That shouldn't be the expectation, but it should be a comfortable win. Um, Rutgers should should be, based on recruiting, based on how much bigger of a program they are than Temple, they should be better than Temple. And not to say that they should blow them out the way they did two years ago. Again, that, that should, the results should be closer to that than it was last year. I agree. I think that I know some people are worried about that being a trap game, especially coming off Northwestern. I think that should be a game that Rutgers wins comfortably. And if they don't win it, if they win it, but uncomfortably like last year, I think that that should, that, that was probably an early warning sign that no one really noticed last year. I think that would be something that people would have in the back of their minds this year. But I think they'll win. 
And in terms of you mentioned use the word wonky when talking about the schedule, this is kind of the way it is with this Wagner game too. Come, they have a chance um, to play three games at home. They go to Michigan and they come back for that Wagner game. That could be, that's a nice little um, get right spot, I could say, after you know a, a potentially you know tough game in Michigan, coming back home for one that could kind of you know get things back on the right track. Yeah, I, the, when I say wonky, I think that again I mentioned that this is a, a season where Rutgers has to win every probably every winnable game, and you get three of them right at the jump. You know, you get Northwestern, a Big Ten game right to start of the season, Temple, and then Virginia Tech. All three at home, I would argue two of them are probably toss-ups on paper, three of them if you want to include Temple. It's a tough ask to ask a team, especially one that's playing an offensive system for the first time, to win those three games of opponents of roughly equal strength. So uh, I, I think, I don't know if you've broken down the schedule into segments, I know a lot of people would like to do that. I think that first three game stretch is the season essentially because if you lose one of them i just cannot imagine a scenario where you have to, you'd have to pull off a major upset or i guess i shouldn't say that. there's there are mild upsets on the schedule um but i just i just think that those three games are huge and starting three you know is, is paramount for any hope of of achieving a bowl game yeah i when breaking down the schedule i looked at you know exactly six wins like you mentioned before if all things go right i'll get into that a little bit later um keep it with the northwestern theme though northwestern and indiana are my two teams i have paired together as kind of those big 10 teams that Rutgers has to beat especially if they want to get to that six win mark um so we'll start with um northwestern obviously you know the home game um sunday nationally televised should be a lot of energy a lot going on obviously with the northwestern program this seems like an absolute, it's weird to say week one being a must-win game, but when looking at Rutgers, this absolutely seems like a must-win game for kind of more reasons than just getting to six wins and getting to a bowl game. Just with all they've had over the course of the offseason, all the excitement that fans are showing and hoping to take that step forward, it feels like if they lose that week one game, then there's really no chance of there being that improvement that, you know, Shiano and fans are looking for. Yeah, and I think all the air will come out of the balloon. I, th- I really think people will just kind of, uh, people that are on the edge of paying attention to the season will st- will tune out because, I mean, you lose that game. The, the season isn't over. I, I think it's a bit harsh. It's something I've said before, it's a bit it's a bit harsh, but it, does, it will feel that way for a lot of people. You know, the diehards will keep coming around and people will come to watch the big games, but I just think people's hopes of uh, bowl games will will be dashed with, with that loss. I think that uh, nationally, the perception-wise, um, it would be tough to lose to a Northwestern team that's riddled with scandal, coming off a one in eleven year, um, just everything going wrong for them. I think if your Parkers lose to that game, they'll be a national talking point, and I don't know if they'll be a laughing stock. That's probably a bit harsh, but it will not be a good look uh, perception-wise for Rutgers to lose to Northwestern. Um, obviously, that happened to Nebraska to start the year last year in Dublin, and Northwestern then went one in eleven, and every week thereafter, that loss looked worse and worse. That's certainly possible for Rutgers because Northwestern, as everyone following has seen, is an absolute mess. They were bad last year, and while they they got a quarterback out of the portal and they made some, you know, they made some recruiting gains out of the portal, nowhere near enough to make them jump from a one eleven team to a competent six and six team. So I think that's a game Rutgers has to win. I've said this on another podcast. I think Rutgers probably wins that game comfortably. That's my hot take. Um, I just know that people are understandably nervous about that game and. The stakes are, are for a season opening game, I would say this is one of the higher state games Rutgers has played in a long time. What, what do you say to that? Yeah, I would agree. I, w- I would think for many reasons that I mentioned, you know, kind of they're going to be a standalone game um, on that Sunday after the big slate on Saturday, nationally televised, which to me is still, 
You know, it's amazing you get Rutgers and, and Northwestern on a national stage, you know, noon kickoff on a Sunday when there's no NFL. It's just, it's kind of crazy to think about. Um, and just everything Northwestern has been going through, if this is a game they come in and lose, like you said, it might be harsh to say the season's over, but there's no path um, to a bowl game if that's what fans are hoping for if they lose this game to Northwestern. And if you think about it, there should, you know, how much different will it really be? Obviously, Pat Fitzgerald's gone. You know, all they do is they bump up David Braun, who was coming in to run the defense anyway. So um, it's not like they have to, Rutgers had to really change a bunch when it comes to scheme or, um, you know, when they study film or anything like that, considering, you know, David Braun was going to be on the staff anyway, running the defense. Right. But uh, the, the flip side for Northwestern is that you got a, a guy who's never coached in power five football, let alone as a head coach. And you're, you're don't have a head coach that's been there for what was he there for 15 years, something like that, yeah. who is, has been on the sidelines forever, is knows the operation of that program, has there's value in that. And now throwing in a rookie guy in the middle of all this turmoil on the national spotlight, it's a humongous spot for him and for the kids. All the pressure is on them. And as much as they want to play the us against the world card, which is a powerful card in a lot of instances, I just think they have so much to overcome that it really should be um, a win that Rutgers should get and uh, an opportunity they really should seize. Yeah, that, that us against the world card is nice in some aspects, but sometimes when it's too much or you just don't have the talent um, that you're looking for, it could be an impossible one to throw down. Um, other games that could be upsets, but again, will be tough on the schedule. I pair together our Iowa and Wisconsin. Um, both games on the road, though, so that's you know a tough ask of Rutgers. Both play you know man football, two tough teams. And Cade McNamara now going to Iowa. They're hoping to improve their offense with him in there. Is there an upset in either one of those games? It kind of feels hard to um, to picture Rutgers going on the road and kind of matching up physically, especially um, with either one of those teams. Yeah, I agree with you. These are, these are two pretty rough uh, crossover games in the West. Uh, Iowa, that game has already been announced and sold out. Uh, the defense is going to be stout as usual. As you mentioned, they've really bolstered their, one of their weakest points in, um, in at quarterback. Their offensive coordinator and their offense was probably the worst in power five last year but now uh, with his new contract provision they're gonna have to they have little incentive to um score a lot of points or else the guy's gonna get fired so i mean if there's any other reasons to want to kind of uh and if you're playing against Rutgers, it's a good defense that's probably not a game where you can build up the that's probably a non-conference deal where you kind of blow teams out but my point being that they're they're still strong in their strength as last year and their offense which was putrid which we saw last year at tri stadium has on paper gotten better and Rutgers is going on the road there's a lot of factors going against Rutgers. And then Wisconsin, I mean, I'm fascinated to see what Phil Longo does with that team. Uh, I'm sure they'll probably still be as big, as physical, but they'll play a more um, a spread offense, a more open offense with the way he's coaching. Uh, they bolstered a lot uh, over the through the portal this offseason, got a lot of uh, strong additions. Uh, you know, uh, Luke Fickle is an elite head coach, as he showed at Cincinnati, to take a program like that to the college football playoff is one of the greatest achievements in, I would say, modern college football history, truthfully. I mean, it's incredible what he built there. And I know it's his first season at Wisconsin, but I think he's earned some some um, you know some cred in that I think he can take Wisconsin to an underachieving program it was last year under Paul Christ into back to what it used to be. And if he gets back to what it used to be, I think it's a very hard ask for Rutgers to go into um, into Camp Randall and, and and pull off an upset. So yeah, those are two tough games. That look, if is there a chance Rutgers goes into Kinnick and, and pulls off the ultimate upset? There's a chance, but I, I'm with you. I just I just cannot. I can't wrap my head around it. I can't, I can't envision it. And I mentioned Northwestern and Indiana being the Big Ten games that Rutgers have to win. My major swing games on this schedule when trying to break it down and try and get six wins, 
um, would be Virginia Tech and Michigan State um, for Rutgers. And that Michigan State rivalry especially is one that I know has drawn a lot of attention. You know, that's a game on the schedule each year that, you know, Rutgers feels like it could win is since um, Greg Schiano came back and winning that game in 2020. Obviously, you know, Kenneth Walker and Jalen Naylor aren't walking through, walking onto the field this year. Um, close game last year again. Both of those games have to go Rutgers' way again, If I think, if they want to get to six wins. And it starts with Virginia Tech, especially with kind of the state that their program is at right now. Um, that's an interesting spot coming off that Temple game. But would you kind of agree that those games have to be wins, you know, and especially, it, like I said, if Rutgers wants to improve, which is kind of the whole theme of this season? Yes, I would agree. I would add Maryland alongside Michigan State, make that uh, Michigan State slash Maryland. I kind of view those. I know Maryland had a big win against Rutgers last year, and they've had games where they you know dominate Rutgers. But I just think that those two programs should be Rutgers should always measure itself against the Indianas and the Marylands of this of this division that will no longer be after this year. May it rest in peace. Um, but I think that if Rutgers Rutgers should always be in contention with Maryland. No, I know they got their quarterback back. I know they've had uh, their head coach there for a while. I know they've shown some recent dominance over Rutgers. I just don't think uh, they're that far ahead that Rutgers shouldn't be contending with them for a win. I agree with Michigan State. I think it's a very fun rivalry that's kind of building up and just kind of like the, the chop thing, which maybe we overblow a little bit, but the, the, the fact that Mel Tucker keeps using that is just kind of funny. Um, and the programs, the Michigan State took a big hit last year. Uh, people are starting to question whether Mel Tucker is actually building the program up, or if he just hit the lottery with Kenneth Walker, as you said. Uh, they lost their starting quarterback to the portal late. They lost their best wide receiver to the portal late. They're in a bit of turmoil themselves, and it's a proven year for Mel Tucker. So I think there is some blood in the water that Rutgers could take advantage there. And Virginia Tech, um, I, I can't say I've looked too deep into you know, their roster and how they are, but I, I, I saw the big story on ESPN about how uh, the program kind of that fell apart, but has in turmoil under Justin Fuentes and Brent Price in his second year of trying to fix that back up. They had, a, I think they were three and nine last year, right? Yep. So, yep. and as, as far as I know, they did not make humongous gains through the, the portal or anything like that. They didn't get any big name players. So, um, that should be, a, I, I agree, another toss up game that I know I, it's kind of like the Boston College game last year, an old Big East rival. Um, and that, that should, I don't know how much juice that brings to, that was obviously a road game last year and a lot of people traveled to that game. I don't know how much juice Virginia Tech still brings to Rutgers in that will a lot of Virginia Tech fans travel and will Rutgers fans be fired up to relive the days of early, the early 2000s where they had Virginia Tech every other year. I mean, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, that's an interesting game when I saw that, um, first come out because you see the name Virginia Tech, um, especially come into Piscataway. It's, it seems like one that should, without thinking, it should bring excitement. It should bring fans out um, from both Virginia and obviously Rutgers. You know, they're going to show out every home game. I think it's different than Boston College. Um, you mentioned when comparing it to that game last year. I think that um, Virginia Tech, for, for whatever reason, I kind of agree. I haven't done too much diving into their program. But for whatever reason, they're down. And it seems like they're going to stay down this year um, just from the minimal reading that I've done and studying on them. So they have... They seem to have more internal problems than um, we might even know about, you know, as as guys who cover Rutgers. But that when looking at that Boston College team last year, when you looked at Flowers, Jerkovic, all the talent that they had, um, Boston College seemed in a good spot, um, especially to open the season. Rutgers went in and beat them. So when looking at a, a team coming to Piscataway, I think that has to be a win because it's it seems completely different situations, in my opinion, than Boston College of last year. So to lose that Virginia Tech game would be 
not a head-scratcher. Obviously, Rutgers isn't a team right now that could kind of just throw their helmets on the field and beat whoever they want, but it would be confusing when looking at that Boston College win last year. That's a very good way to put it. I would agree. And, you know, you touched on Maryland a little bit, obviously being the season finale, which should, my opinion, should be every year. You know, that's the rivalry game that should be on the schedule. And it's another one that really has fans, you know, up in arms because they, they beat them in 2020. Rutgers um, beats them in 2020. Come back two lopsided games. Um, and we look at the 2021 game, especially because both teams sitting at five wins, needing that six one to go in. And, and Maryland really just took control from the beginning. Is that gap still wide? You kind of touched on this. Is there still a wide gap going into this year? Or is this a game that Rutgers could kind of close and maybe even think about winning? Because Mike Loxley seems to be building something over there that's, you know, been consistent. It's been strong. And, and they look like a physical team over the past couple of years. I think Rutgers has to be able to make that a competitive game. I just don't think you can have three straight years of, of, of blowout losses to Maryland. That's It's one thing to lose in blowout losses to Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan, and uh, Penn State. It's another to lose to a regional rival that you enter the league with, right? Um, I think, as I mentioned, Tiger Vailoa is back. Their quarterback is back. They lost Rakeem Jarrett, who was their best wide receiver. Uh, and I know they're, they've gotten pretty good at getting skilled players with a lot of speed. That's been killing Rutgers over the last couple of years. But I just can't – I just don't think there's justifiable, justifiable reason for Rutgers not to be able to be in a competitive game with Maryland year in and year out. And as you mentioned, two years ago, they had five wins going to that season finale. It's for a bowl game. I think that should be the minimal expectation for the, this program at some, I don't know if it, not this year, this year is probably not the year, but, you know, if not next year, the year after where if you're not, if you're not at least at five wins entering the season finale against Maryland, that's a sign of a bad season. So, um, I think that doing that would set a good floor for, um, uh, a consistent program. So, uh, maybe you don't win every year against Maryland and go to a bowl game, but I think that at the very least you should enter that game with hopes and a chance of doing so. So it's a good measuring stick for the Rutgers program in, in more ways than one, I would say. And now that we looked at the, at the whole schedule, my breakdown comes if I'm stretching to get to six wins. It's got to be the first three. You got to obviously beat Wagner, and then your your swing games. You got to beat Virginia Tech, Michigan State. You got to beat Indiana. Um, and the last four games of the season, again, you kind of enter that gauntlet of, you know, top teams around um, Ohio State, Penn State, um, and even that Maryland game, the last um, last game of the year. Now, the problem I have when looking at the schedule and breaking it down that way, if you, you know, we're sitting here on October 21st in uh, Rutgers just beat Indiana to get to six wins. That's that's mid-October. Rutgers is six and two. Now, it's, it's hard for me to picture a world where everything goes right and Rutgers is sitting there in, you know, the third week of October, six and two. I mean, I, I think that's pretty fair to say. Um, and I think you kind of touched on this as well. If you had to make a prediction right now, is that six win mark one that Rutgers is going to get to this year? Or do you think it takes another year or so? I think it takes more time. I would say that five wins is fair and realistic. I think if they get to six wins, it's a, a home run season. I really think so. Um, I, I, and to your point, that probably has to happen early. I, I, if you start six and two and you lose your last four, it might not be a great ending, but it's, it's six wins is pretty good. It's, it's very good for, for Rutgers at this, at this juncture of the rebuild. I just don't see it. I will say four and eight is probably the floor. Five and seven would be uh, a, a reasonable step forward, a good year, I think, especially along with who they beat, how they lose, is, is, if we, as we mentioned, if they can avoid those big blowouts and be competitive against Iowa and Wisconsin, you know, put a scare into them, uh, be into it into the fourth quarter, I think that would be a good sign. Um, but I, I just, I just can't see the, I just don't see the sixth one coming. I think it's a, it's a big ask, and I, I'm not sure they can do it. 
Brian Fonseca of NJ Advanced Media. Again, thank you for taking some time to talk with me today. Always a pleasure, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on and looking forward to, do, to reading your work this season. Thank you again to Brian Fonseca for taking some time to break down the Rutgers schedule with me today and seeing if there is that path to six wins and a bowl appearance for Rutgers. When looking at Rutgers, too, they made the decision to bring back Greg Schiano in 2020. Seems like a no-brainer after his first tenure. And he's, it's been a slow go as of this point. So it's interesting to see where he kind of ranks among these Big Ten coaches with everybody else in the mix. Obviously, some of the best coaches in the country. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about a little here when, when you break down each coach and kind of put them in rankings. And for me, it was tough to do in, in certain spots. But, Agreed. But where it was easy, you know, David Braun and, and Ryan Walters. Yep. I, didn't, I didn't want to rank either one because it feels unfair to do that to either one. The only reason I put, um, if I had to make a ranking, put David Braun at 14 is because he was hired as a defensive coordinator and brought in under these weird situations. You know, at least Ryan Walters was hired as a um, a head coach. And I tell you what, listening to him at media days, I was impressed. So I'm, I'm curious to see what Purdue does here. But really just from no experience and, you know, first-year guys, that seems like an easy one. Yeah, I, I, I had the same. I, I, I ranked them in that order, 14 to being David Braun, primarily because he was not brought in to be the head coach. And really nobody was except for Pat Fitzgerald, who's no longer um, yeah. coach there for not for the hazing allegations or whatever whatever we want to call it, uh, mistakes that happened under his watch. Uh, he was brought in as a defensive coordinator and then becomes the head coach. So just not what you were hired for and kind of placed into a tough position uh, from the university to, to promote him. So, you know, outside of week one, hope he has all the success in the world. Uh, Ryan Walters, another guy um, – I mean, it was a defense corner at Illinois, and Illinois had a phenomenal defense in the Big Ten. I do think, though, it's in, not that it matters, but I'm curious how teams would shake out if the divisions were were flipped, or at least the teams not Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan. Uh, if they stayed constant, you flipped everybody else over from the Big Ten West, like how, how, their, how their teams would be. Regardless, Illinois has a good defense. They have one of the best defensive lines in the country, and they had a top defense in the country last year as a whole. The only thing that kind of makes me, and I think Walters deserves to be there, is he's a defensive coach at Purdue. And when I think Purdue the last couple of years under Jeff Barham, I thought offense. You know, they, they had such a you, – you don't think Purdue and think like good quarterback play, getting the ball down the field, high-paced offenses, but that's what they were. Uh, and I'm forget, Aiden O'Connell, I'm, I'm hearing good things about him in NFL training camp. I mean, he, yeah, was, yeah. he was a good quarterback. And and I don't know who their quarterback is going to be this year, but you know it's a. I feel like you don't get excited. You know the 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 feeling around the team isn't as as optimistic when you do hire a defensive minded coach and when it is offensive minded. So I, I'm interested to see if that changes for Purdue because not that they're a bad defensive team, but when I think Purdue, I'm thinking offense just because of Jeff Bromwich. You know now is at Louisville, so I had them at 14 and 13 respectively. So I think that's I, I do think the bookends in the Big Ten are pretty consistent across rankings, whether at the bottom or the top. It's the middle where you really can have a good debate. So um, you know after that, I I don't know. If you want do you want to go from from bottom to top? Is that, is that we want to do that? Yeah, we'll keep going bottom. And yeah. um, as I go on here, before we get to um, a little more of that conversation. I mean, it's got to be Tom Allen once you get into these guys. And, and to me, he's really the only coach on the hot seat in the Big Ten when I was going through the list. Obviously, we just talked about Braun and Walters. They're not on the hot seat. 
And then you look at the less, you know, teams that have been lesser. You know, Greg Shiano's not getting fired. Mel Tucker's not getting fired. You know, all of these teams aren't going to um, be looking for a new coach. So Tom Allen's going to be the guy that enters on the hot seat because he was he was a product of, you know, good quarterback play and, you know, strong offense in those years when Indiana was good with Michael Penix and, you know, Kalen is not there anymore as coordinator. You know, he's in Washington. So I think it's just the absolute free fall that Indiana has been in, and it's not going to end this year, that really has him on the hot seat. Because not that, not saying you have to be as good as you were in 19 and 20, but you can't be as bad as you've been over these past two years and are expected to be this year and expect to survive in the Big Ten as a head coach. Yeah, and I mean, their best year, in my opinion, was what, that shortened 2020 COVID season when they had that yep, win. That was I don't know one. if it was, I think it was at home again, not that it really mattered who or away uh, that season, but they had that first game against Penn State where Mike, Michael Penix is like diving for the end zone. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's a questionable call whether that was in, whether he was in or not. So that was like what propelled them, I feel like, for that season. And obviously, Michael Penix is a good quarterback. I mean, we saw what he did, and he's probably one of the most – uh, talked about quarterbacks in the Pac-12 in a conference that includes Caleb Williams. So to, to be talked about just as much as Caleb Williams proves that you you can play it. You, you're a good quarterback. I mean, he's slinging the ball in Washington. They don't have him now, obviously, at Indiana. And Tom Allen, I mean, everything fell apart after that, that COVID year. And that's just not a great look. I mean, I guess you can make the same argument for Rutgers. Like, Rutgers had a pretty successful shortened season, too. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's crappy that it was a shortened year, but – Tom Allen definitely hasn't given Indiana fans a reason to feel optimistic uh, for their for their program, especially when you know Rutgers comes into your home court in twenty one and, and beats you what thirty five to three. Like we dominated them that game, and then again in this past homecoming, like they had a they had a shot to go up, I think 10, 10 to nothing or fourteen to nothing, and then we end up covering that game, whatever the line was at home on homecoming. So you know we we look at that game as an easy win. I don't want to overlook it, but I don't view Tom Allen as a reason why they would find a way to win that game. And I think he's. Proper, prop, properly ranked as the most of, of the tenured court, uh, coaches in the Big Ten, properly ranked where he is. As we move on here, this was my first personal um, conflict, personal debate within myself. And it came between Greg Schiano and Mel Tucker when you look at the 11 and 12 spots. And <laughs> I, had, I ended up putting Greg Schiano next with Mel Tucker at 10. And really the reason for that is obviously the one year of success. And I know obviously Kenneth Walker was there, Jalen Naylor, Payne Thorne had a career year, Jaden Reed was there as well. The team was stacked. Kenneth Walker was a Heisman candidate. He he signs that big contract, which is a, a huge eyesore now for Michigan State. That, that contract is a debacle. But at the end of the day, you can't take it away. Shiano's one season going to a bowl game was with a huge asterisk when you look at Texas A&M backing out of the New Year's Day Bowl against Wake Forest. Rutgers going in with five wins. He just hasn't gotten them there yet. Rutgers is hoping this is the year that they can take that step forward. But at the end of the day, um, Mel Tucker's at least had that one year under his belt. He's got the 2-1 and edge against Shiano since he returned in his second tenure. So that's the reason I put him there. I, I'm not saying that he's a better coach. Per se, I just think his resume for what he's done at Michigan State right now is better than Shiano's second tenure. Resume definitely, I wouldn't argue, is, is better. And we, we we did not discuss our list beforehand, but we're on the same track. But 
Uh, and I, this was more of a homer pick. And I just don't, I don't personally, Mel Tucker's probably a great guy, probably a cool guy, great to hang out with. Um, but when you steal chalk, I mean, take pictures, smoking cigars, yeah, that can't and, happen. And your pit bulls, like the, the social media, uh, campaign, uh, to, to get Mel Tucker as this swaggy, cool coach has just done enough for me to, to not be a fan of Michigan state as a whole. So that's why I put him at 11 and Shano at 10 now. And, and, I, 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 that's probably incorrect, but when I look at Mel Tucker, I kind of think of someone, who, uh, uh, maybe just Michigan State as a whole, the pros and the cons of the transfer portal. The, the year that they were so good, they had so many transfers. Kenneth Walker was a transfer, and he was one of the best players in the entire country, and now he's a great NFL player. I don't know how much that happens prior to the, the, the wild west that is the transfer portal now where players are moving around so much more, so, so more frequently. So now they're kind of facing the consequences of that. There was like a mass exodus of players leaving them and they lost some guys to the draft. So I, I view that as kind of, you know, maybe he's more of a, a one and done every three or four years if he's able to land some nice transfers because they're, they're just like Rutgers where, you know, they have to, they have to commit, they have to fight in recruiting for the Midwest against the best teams in the big 10. Obviously that happens with Rutgers with players are getting poached away from the, from like the Northeast or New Jersey as a whole, but they have to fight in state Michigan, close, close, close rival Ohio state. And then of course Penn state, and then everybody else that's in that area. And I feel like their recruiting classes have steadily declined and there hasn't been much of a reason like years in the past. I'm not looking at Michigan state as a potential wing for Rutgers last year. I did. And the year before that I did as well, both ended up in losses. But I think if you look at the game last year in East Lansing, we, we really statistically outplayed them. We just, I I don't know what went wrong. I was at a wedding that day. Why I hate fall weddings. I can't remember it too much. I think we went up against them and then the wheels fell off. We ended up covering great teams cover, obviously. Uh, but I, I look at that as we've at least competed in games and there's just been like a handful of plays in those individual games that have allowed Michigan State to win. Uh, it's more, more recent or not more recently, but in the 21 season, a homecoming game at home, there was like four or five plays of over 50 yards that went for touchdowns that lost us the game. Other than that, we were in it. But, yep. You know, you can't win when you're living, giving up those big yep. plays. You just had too many would, weapons that day. Yeah, they just had this, an explosive offense. But this is a team that, if I'm looking at a, a game, especially at home, it's like, hey, we can win this game. I just look at that as I, I'm going to give Shiano the nod over Tucker only because, yes, Tucker's resume is definitely better. But we take away that one year, and I'm not sure how much better it is. Obviously, that was a good year, a great year. They finished like seventh or – they were the, they finished top ten in the country um, and had such great players. But – they lost Kenneth Walker and the wheels literally fell off, uh, including when they had him in, in his last season. So I, uh, yeah, I'm going to just go with Shano over him. And after that, um, I'm curious if we still have the same one, but after that, again, this is really where I think you could shuffle things around, but at number nine, I went with, I feel like he could go higher, but I, I think he's just needs to get over the head the hump a little bit more is Mike Loxley from, from Maryland. Um, I, I think of him as a guy who does a really great job recruiting, has found ways to get to bowl games. I don't know if he was the coach when they – he's been there for, I think this is his third year or fourth year, ever since uh, – I forget what the other coach – DJ – I forget what his name was – that got, like, fired for a player, I think, passing away at training camp. Like They, they have their own mess. 
So like a lot of noise coming their way in Maryland for a lot of negative publicity. I mean, he brings in Tylea Tungavailoa, who is one of the most talented quarterbacks in the conference. And if you look at him on a, you know, if he stayed at Alabama, I don't probably doesn't end up playing, definitely not playing over Bryce Young. No. But if they had him this season, I don't know if they're bringing in uh, the Notre Dame transfer that they have now, Tyler Bucknell or whatever, whatever his name was. Um, I just look at them as a team that always has a competent offense. They have talent, but they should be better than their record always is at the end of the year. And, uh, you know, they're in a hotbed of a recruiting area. Uh, he's, done fine against Rutgers. He's, they, we've, they've handled us the past two years. Uh, so I just think he's a guy that has the talent to do better, but like Rutgers, they, they have to be better than Penn state, Michigan uh, and or Penn state, Michigan and Ohio state every year. And that's just so hard to do. Uh, I definitely think though, I have to put him ahead of both Tucker and Shiano though, with, with, without question. I agree. And that's, yep. We're, we're still on the same page here with nine. So we might have some, dis- <laughs> we might have some disagreements down the road, but and I'm a Loxley fan, and it really – I wanted to put him higher. I did because of these past two years, but it's also recency bias. I tried to only judge his work at Maryland, but overall his resume is not good. Um, right. He was a bad coach at New Mexico. I shouldn't say a bad coach. He he had bad teams at New Mexico for those couple years that he was there. Then coming to Maryland, I think he won six games his first two years or so, and then they've been better these past couple years. Last year winning eight. Obviously handled Rutgers both years, but I just like the teams that Maryland's put together. If they have a tough field to them, they're athletic, they're quick. They've just got – I just feel like they have dudes all over the field, especially offensively. Their wide receiving core has been pretty good. Um, they just lost their top receiver, obviously, but Tagovailoa is back. I'm a Mike Loxley guy. I'm curious to see how it goes once you lose that quarterback, though. You know, you, uh, A team could put together consistent years as long as you have that quarterback, whether it be a – you know, a Heisman candidate like Trevor Lawrence at Clemson or, or a guy like Tagaboy Loa that's just been on the field week in and week out. But I think Loxley's done a great job, and I, and I think he's going to continue to do that. But his overall resume just isn't it as of now. Yeah, people are high on them this season, and I think a lot of that has to do with their quarterback. Uh, you know, obviously it's Tua's brother, but Tylea has made a name for himself. He's Besides, I don't remember what game it was. Maybe, I think it was Iowa where he threw like four interceptions. It was a bad, bad performance. If he can limit those type of games or those type of turnovers consistently, he's a great quarterback. I mean, he's got phenomenal talent. And I I don't know. There's times where I watch him and I'm like, I don't know if Tua was, would have been able to have done that. I mean, he's a mobile guy. Tua was as well. But Talia just feels bigger, taller. He's got the arm talent, and they got weapons in Maryland. So, I mean, they they definitely are a team that's capable of really being a surprise team in the Big Ten. And I don't know how much of a surprise team it could be if you made a bowl game, but in the, maybe you know if they can find a way to beat one of the top three juggernauts in the East, that's a success in my opinion. Because if they're if they're going to be able to handle one of those guys, I don't want to know what, what's going to happen if they play when they play Rutgers. But you know, we do have them at home, which is a little helpful. But yeah, Luxley. He's done a good job at, at Maryland. They, I wouldn't say he definitely has not done a bad job. I, and, and I think he could easily find himself higher in the rankings after this season, coaching rankings at least. My, my number eight is a, is a personal pick, but another conflict I had. I put P.J. Fleck number eight. <laughs> we have and the same list. <laughs> the, the reason for that is some call him underrated. You know, he's had some solid teams at Minnesota. Again, some would say underrated teams. I just don't like the guy. I don't like his look. Um, I hate the I hate the shirt and tie under the the quarter zip. I just don't really like anything about him. I never liked those those Minnesota teams. 
I can obviously admit that they've been good in the past. They've had some good teams, some solid teams, but I just don't like the guy, and I'm going to put him there. And at the end of the day, he hasn't won anything. So you could be you could be solid, you could be consistent, you could be good. You haven't done anything. So I have him coming in at number eight, and he's another one. He could be higher. Maybe if you win a few more games or um, maybe even contend for, for a title or something. But, again, he just seems like very vanilla within – college football coaches and I feel like he's trying to do too much and and carve out his own niche with, especially with that stupid shirt and tie so I can't put him too high because of all that the way you feel about him is how I feel about Mel Tucker I feel but my thing yeah, with Mel yeah. Tucker is I, I don't think a lot of it's his fault I think it was just like the way the school kind of uh, campaigned him to be this cool cool relatable coach uh, yeah, Fleck, Fleck has bothered a lot of people I don't think you're you know in a, the minority there I don't think I mean, he's a likable guy and, but correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think he's a former Greg Shano assistant. Mm-hmm. So it's that's where I get conflicted. It's like, hmm, I wonder if like down the road, like Rutgers goes up, you know, finds a way to improve. Like Shiano gets older, wants to do something else. Like, is he a guy that they try to bring back? You know, there's not many connections there anymore. Uh, I've thought that. about that. But one thing that he's had the benefit of the doubt is he had. Oh man, I'm forgetting his name right now. Their quarterback who who had him, I'm pretty sure he, by the time he graduated, I think last year was his last year, Tanner Morgan, Tanner Morgan. Tanner Morgan. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was married playing college football. So, like, he was an old, <laughs> experienced veteran quarterback. Like, that goes a long way to have that consistency at that position. And they also had, I'm forgetting his name, the running back from last year was phenomenal. Oh, and he got hurt in the 21 season against Ohio State. Wish I wasn't forgetting his name. Oh, Ibrahim. Yes, correct. Mohamed Ibrahim, phenomenal running back. And they also have just like these hogs up front. So like they have just an easy win. Like you can win the games you're supposed to win because they play great defense. They run the ball. And then they have a veteran at quarterback who typically isn't turning over the ball. But similar to, I don't know if it was the same season. I think it was the same year. It may have been. Maybe maybe two years before that. That's the thing. Like Tanner Morgan's been there for so long that I don't know what year it is anymore. But they went. They, they maybe won nine or ten games. Uh, I don't even think they made it to the Big Ten championship. But they had that one really great year, similar to Michigan State. And then they haven't fallen off like Michigan State, but they they haven't done enough to be like, oh, Minnesota, watch out for them. I think they started maybe eight zero, beat Penn State, all that. But yeah, he. I don't know if he'll ever be able to take Minnesota to the next spot. And also, I feel like he's a type of coach. The year that they do maybe get to the Big Ten Championship, somehow find a way to win 10, maybe 11 games, I feel like he would book it immediately for, for another for another conference or another team. Uh, I don't know if he's there for the long term in Minnesota. I mean, pretty tough there uh, just when it, the season progresses. It gets so cold up there. But, yeah, he he's exact. I have him ranked there. I don't think he's done enough to kind of been like, hey, he he's he, – because when, when, as we move up, the coaches that we're going to be talking about, I would say – do have a pretty good proven track record, at least in the Big Ten, or at least in it, it, where they've coached previously. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I, uh, and that's why I, I don't have anything negative. I don't hate. I don't hate PJ Fleck, but I totally understand where, where he's unlikable. Yeah, I just feel like he's not a likable guy. Again, I hate his look, but I, <laughs> and I've heard different stories. I don't know if it was media or whatever, but I just feel like he's not a likable guy. I, I was so close again too. This is where I couldn't let personal feelings get in the way of putting Loxley above him. But at the end of the day, I looked at overall resume, and obviously Fleck has such a superior resume as of now to Loxley. Kind of the same thing I did when it came to Tucker and Shiano. I couldn't put Shiano over Mel Tucker just yet. Um, and he did have success, what was that, Western Michigan? Western Michigan. That, so like kind of the up. opposite of, of Loxley. So I think it's fair. 
yeah, he built them back up as opposed to Loxley, who was bad at, at New Mexico. So that was a tough one. I got to let you go. You you um, talk about number seven here, see if we continue on the right path. Yeah, well, this is where it got really interesting for me. Um, and this is my pick for most intriguing and probably for a lot of people. But I went with Matt Rule. I don't know if this is where we – hey, We, 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 got, we, we got, got a different one here. Okay. The reason I went with Matt Rule is, you know, obviously he left the – and I, I think all of these guys we're about to talk about are all good. And between uh, – let's see. Between four and seven – or four and seven, I feel like you can, you can switch them. Uh, but the reason I went with him here is it, he's most intriguing because obviously he f- failed in the NFL. There's no question about that. But before that, he's turned – bad, bad programs around and put them at the highest level in their respective conference. Most recently at Baylor, and I think he took over a program that was just uh, dumb, like a lot of issues, bad issues, things you don't want to have as a program. Found a way to win. I don't know if he won a Big 12 championship there or not, but great offenses, competitive, relevant in the world of college football. And before that, he did the same thing at Temple. Bad program, goes on, I think, won the AAC uh not too long ago. So he's done a great job turning programs around being at Nebraska. You know, they've, I, I've, I'm a big college football fan now, but I haven't been a big college football fan forever. And if you were, if you just told me, and I never knew, I know about the history of college football now, but 10 years ago, if you told me, Hey, Nebraska is one of the most historic programs in, in, in the history of college sports, history of football, I'd be like, you're crazy. They're, they've done nothing. And that's where they've been the last 10 years. They just haven't been Nebraska. And I think that if he doesn't find success at Nebraska, I don't know if that's more of an indictment on him or an indictment on Nebraska and the football program as, as, a, as a whole. It's almost as if the football gods just do not want them to be successful. They gave them that opening drive against Northwestern last season in Ireland where people were like, oh, my God, Nebraska's back. This is a top 25 team. Their offense is back. Yep, what a mess and then is. it fell off. The, you lose to a team like Northwestern. And it, and it really got away from them fast. So I think he's capable of turning things around. I don't want Nebraska to be back because you know, I think that just allows it, – it, it's it's nice where people are focusing their attention on a bad Nebraska team than a bad Rutgers team. But I just have to put him there because he did such a poor job in the NFL that, you know, it's it's not like it's been easy at Nebraska. And it's not like they have this great talent. Like they, they do have to play some tough teams this year. I think they have to – I think they might have to play Ohio State. I think that might be a cross-conference game. Like, let's see how let's see how he competes there. But he's turned programs around. But you know, the, the Nebraska's tried doing with Scott Froster, like their 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 chosen one that that was great when, when as a player failed horribly. Should have been fired well before last year. Now they're bringing in Matt Rule, who has proven things. But we'll see what happens. And I I, I do think he's a good coach. But I think the, the larger issue at hand is Nebraska. So we'll see what happens with them. I think he's a good coach, but Nebraska as a program is just in a very interesting spot in their history uh, as a football program. Yeah, I think the the good thing for Rule there is, first of all, he's a college football guy. There's some guys you just know won't work in the NFL. And I agree. He got, he got such a big contract. It was a no-brainer. He was going to go to the next level. But he didn't seem like an NFL guy. He's 100% a college guy. You mentioned Temple. You mentioned Baylor. Just he's had success everywhere he goes. And I, when ranking him, I kind of looked at the diff, in a different way. I looked at it as he's got a track record. He's a new guy this year in the Big Ten. I'm going to go off that track record. 
and I'm curious to see how he can turn um, Nebraska around. But I didn't have him there. I had Kirk Ferentz there at Iowa. Interesting. And, again, just another real plain plain dude, plain team. And Iowa, again, he's been there forever. It really rubbed me the wrong way that he brought back his son as the offensive coordinator. I mean, that is absolutely <laughs> unacceptable. And I know that's something I don't – I'm not alone on that. A lot of people – a lot of people were upset over that one because it's like you had one of the worst offenses ever last year and and you bring this guy back. I think they won a game 7-3 early on or 7 nothing. They had a field I don't know. Goal. I think it might have been 6-3. to three. I don't know if they scored a touchdown. Two safeties. It was like 7-3. Yeah. They couldn't yeah, score yeah, a touchdown. Yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> so I just don't understand how you do that. I'm not saying he's past his time because I don't think he is. Iowa is still always there. They're still great defensively. They bring in Cade McNamara. You try and uh, bolster the offense a bit. But you just can't bring back your son as the offensive coordinator. And, again, it just feels like he's been there so long that people expect him to be in that top three or four or five coaches. I just don't think he's there anymore. Iowa's been consistent, but they haven't been great. They're another team that's just built off consistency. But at the end of the day, they're not doing anything special. Yeah, I – I had him a little higher. I'll, I'll mention the ranking when we move up a little bit. But um, the one thing, so it's what you mentioned about his son. And I think the fun little joke I have is like, he's responsible for not only bringing him back, but like he is his literal offspring. He produced yeah. this type of offensive coordinator. Like he, it's, it's his son. Like he's the one that's developed him more than just a football coach, but as a man, yeah. like he's at some point, like it was, I think it was shocking for most people to say like, Oh my God, like he's really bringing him back. Like, and that's, and that's coming from like a uh, two guys that watched Rutgers offense play last year. Like if it wasn't for their defense, as good as like, phenomenal defense, unbelievable defense, crazy like, defense last year. I think at one point they scored more points in their offense in like throughout the, the couple, couple uh, earlier games in the season. It's just crazy. But one thing that Kirk Ferentz is able to do is give you a winning season. Like yeah. they're going to win. They're, they're going to have an above 500 record. They're going to get to a bowl game and they're even going to find themselves playing in the big 10 championship. Like they just find ways to win. And, and that's just something that I feel like other co- coaches that we talked about previously were not able to do. Uh, but I think that, I think you can keep him at seven for the sole reason of bringing his son back at offense coordinator. So like, it's just, it doesn't make sense to me. And, you know, nothing against Cade McNamara, but if Cade McNamara is the reason that you have a good offense, like Cade McNamara must be, was, was just completely overlooked at Michigan because he was never that great at Michigan. Like, and even JJ McCarthy has like, like not, been phenomenal but has been he showed you just as good as you need to be in order to get to the college football playoffs and Kate McNamara was was not that ever while at Michigan and it's funny because people are being like oh well now they have Kate McNamara the offense is going to be fixed it's like I'm not sure I'm on board with that I really I'm not on board with that now again nothing against him but like Rutgers almost beat him like twice like I, (laughs) I think that what's important to remember that I moved. I moved on here too with another. It, it was a toss up between Ferenc and Brett Bielema. I had Brett Bielema coming in at six. Sam, but the question for for me is, can he continue this? I mean, Illinois again. They've just been that bad program, right? And all of a sudden, last year they win eight games, which was their highest in it has to be close to fifteen years. 
can this continue? Is that just kind of like a flash in the pan for Bielema? But the difference was you're seeing a tough team. He kind of really imposed his own will, it looked like, to that Illinois team. They lose Walters. You know, he was with Purdue last year. I mean, he was with Illinois last year, excuse me, with Purdue now as their head coach. So that's going to be a big loss for them. They lost a lot of players on that defense that made them as good as they were. And that's how they won games last year. Their defense was incredible. So it'll be interesting to see if he can continue what he's doing. But he's only done. He's only been there two years now. And to win eight games in Illinois in your second year, I mean, that shows a lot. That's enough for me to put you in the top six. I mean, that that's not an automatic win anymore for teams. That's kind of the level that Rutgers is looking to get to, you know, win, you know, seven, eight games and not be that automatic win for teams on the schedule. <laughs> yeah, and outside of his time at Arkansas, which I feel like was just like culturally a bad fit for him, he had success previously in the Big Ten at Wisconsin. Like, he, he's going to give you what you expect. Good offensive line play, good defense, and they're going to run the ball. I think Art Sikowski played a bit last season, but, you know, this is this is another example of, again, you know, people are very quick to criticize Greg Schiano and, and praise Brett Bielema, Brett Bielema, but what happened the last time they played on the road in Champaign? They beat him. Like, yep. they, they, yep. They, 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 he beat them, which I think is, you know, a testament to Schiano, maybe critical of, of Bielema. But the thing with Bielema is he's – He's taking advantage of the situation that they're in. And I would love to know, again, I, we can't change history. We don't know what it would be like. But I would love to know where these guys would be if they were in the East rather than the West. Because the schedule that you play is the schedule that you play. You can't change that. But, you know, it's it's. I, I almost wish that we kind of looked, we graded Rutgers or Illinois and everybody on a scale and kind of kept things in perspective. Because I would love to know where Rutgers would be if they – played their schedule and vice versa. But Bielma is in sort of culture, culture that you knew what you were going to get. And it's, it showed success at least last season. So I think he's just, he's definitely not a bad coach. Let's see if it works out this year with some guys moving on and kind of set a standard for yourself, but people are high on them and they do have a very good defensive line. And that goes a long way, both in college football and in the pros. So that's a, that's a foundational piece that you want to be uh, great and, and they show that they, they have some talent there. So I think we, you know, I think he's properly right in the middle of the pack in the Big Ten. And, and you know, there's guys that are definitely below him, but then there's definitely guys that are ahead of him. Now, I did have Kirk friends at five. Uh, yeah, that's and that's just because of the. We hit we yeah. had five and seven flipped. Right. And, and they, I think with Ferris, just he's the oldest tenured coach, which is like. That wasn't the case, obviously, a couple of years ago. You had like Frank Beamer and uh, Snyder at Kansas State. Like those were the guys that were there for a while. But he's also been there for a while. And they've just been so consistent, which is why I put them at five. Like they find a way to get to the Big Ten Championship. They're not going to win it, but they're going to get there. Um, and I, he's just been there. He's been the head guy. And, you know, I think that they've done a, a great job at Iowa. But there has been a little bit of there, – there, there has come some – uh, scandals along the way there yeah, yeah. obviously he's been there obviously being at Iowa if stuff, if stuff like that happened here at Rutgers whoever's the coach is gone the next day and Iowa just operates a little bit differently five's where I had rule again I've touched on him so I won't spend too much time I just th- be having Matt rule back in college football is exciting and I think in the Big Ten is even more exciting at a, at a story program like Nebraska um, continuing on the top five again another personal gripe here even though I couldn't drop him down any further I had James Franklin at four and, you know, he's really hanging on to that Big Ten title they won back in 2016. They're they're just so good at the beginning of every year, and then they fall apart. It's the same thing every year. 
except for with the exception of the weird 2020 season. I think that's when they started out 0 and 5, 0 and 4, and then, yeah, they, they, then they their won record out. was they were bad, but their so, record did not that didn't that no, didn't that was a strange that was a strange year. They they lost like four or five in a row, and then they won out the rest of the way. But this is a guy who just hasn't gotten it done. Again, another one. He's done enough to obviously be one of the top coaches. He won a Big Ten title. They're they're relevant every single year. This year is going to be the year, though, that's telling because they're supposed to be national title contenders. I think they're ranked seven to start the year. But first, just another unlikable guy. You know, you see him within the media. Seems, seems very cocky, very condescending. But his teams just haven't gotten it done. They they find ways to do everything wrong at the end of years other than, again, the one year they beat Ohio State, went out to win the Big Ten title game. But just hasn't done enough, in my opinion, to – go into that up he's in the upper echelon but to go into that top two or three coaches although i'm sure a lot of people would because the other guy that i have left on my list is a newcomer in the big 10 sure yeah i uh i I had franklin at three uh primarily because if he didn't have to play michigan ohio state each year he probably finds his way into the college football playoffs um and this is the year but if you were to ask penn state fans they'd probably put him at 14 like the most diehard penn state fans they do. Not, they do not like him because they. They. they again, I. I, um, I haven't been. I, I love college football. I, I respect the history. I wasn't following football or college football when Penn State was at the height height of the sport. But that was so long ago. Like Penn State's been great. Don't get me wrong. Like his. They. They. They are a history or a storied program for a number of reasons, but they haven't been at that national contender spot. I mean, yes, they had the year where they went on and won the Rose Bowl against USC, and they won a couple of Rose Bowls and won the Big Ten that one year. But they they haven't. I don't think anybody's been in the, been coming into the year being like they're going to win the national championship or they're going to make the cultural playoffs. But that's different this year. A lot of that's because of Drew Allar, another player that Penn State fans didn't like was Sean Clifford. But if you put Sean Clifford, if you if Sean Clifford was the quarterback of. 99% of other teams in college football, they're thrilled because he was a winner. He won games. He just lost against Penn State or Ohio State and Michigan. And one thing that Franklin does almost as good as anybody else is recruit. They do a really, really great job recruiting. They always have a good defensive line. They always have good running backs. They the, the one unit that's always impressive there, I find, is tight ends. Uh, if, if, if Drew Eller can be that guy, maybe, maybe they can find their way to make it to the college football playoffs. But, you know, I, I don't know if that's going to happen this year, but we'll see. They definitely have the talent. Uh, and just, just to move to who I had it for. Yeah. Who I had it for was, was Luke Fickle. And I'm yep. sure you had him, at three. I had him at three. He's another, he's the opposite. I think of James Franklin. He's like, I feel like he's extremely likable. He's like, he's a guy, if, if he was my coach, I would be so excited, but I think he's the perfect fit at Wisconsin. Uh, they bring in Phil Longa, who I think was a tremendous hire by him. It's weird to think that Wisconsin can have this like high-paced, high, like, high-powered offense that moves away from the running game. I don't think they will just because of the talent on the team. But Luke Fickle is – I think you could totally make an argument for him at three. I mean, he's, he got Cincinnati to the playoffs and played as good as you could against that Alabama team uh, as, the, as the number four seed when, when Cincinnati made it. And I think they deservingly made it. Like, they, they proved that they were a competent team. They battled – they obviously lost. They didn't too much on offense. But the defense limited uh, Alabama more so than I think it was Ohio State that they ultimately played in the championship. I could be wrong there. Uh, but whoever Alabama went on to play – I might have been, no, that was the year they played Georgia. That was the year they lost to Georgia, yeah. Yeah, and I think Georgia scored, or uh, Alabama scored more points against Georgia than they did Cincinnati, excuse me, <laughs> Cincinnati that year. Uh, but yeah, I think Luke Fickle, good hire. I think you can put him three or four. And then obviously, uh, 
you know, uh, the top two, uh, we, we, any, anyone, it's a top two, I think for everybody, but I don't know if you wanted to talk about Luke Fickle at all. I mean, what a perfect, what a perfect spot for Luke Fickle, right? I was so, again, another one I was just happy to see come to the big 10, you know, not for Rutgers, but just for the overall sport of college football. His work at Cincinnati was incredible, but since being at Wisconsin, you know, he's got a top, uh, top 20 recruiting class and, and just another guy that he's had links to power five jobs never made that move. I don't know if he was necessarily waiting for Wisconsin. You know, obviously he's hired. He's going to say that this was his dream job and all that stuff. But he's had links to Power Five jobs. He's been at, he's been at Cincinnati and just hasn't taken that step. He takes that step into a program that feels kind of tailor made for him. Another program that's you know they play hard hitting football. They win in the trenches. Um, they like to play defense, and that's what Cincinnati uh, won off of. I, they had a good offense, obviously Desmond Ritter, all those guys. But they won games playing defense. So Fickle feels like the perfect guy here. And the reason I had him at three, again, personal personal gripe against James Franklin, but also when you're the only coach to bring a group of five team to the college football playoff, I mean, you deserve your respect. And it's not just one year that they were contenders. Um, obviously, the year they came in, they were thought of uh, to be that they were a top 10 team for a couple of years there at Cincinnati. So I think Fickle really is just going to take Wisconsin right back, if they, especially offensively. If they can ever build an offense with this guy, um, put anything together, I mean, Wisconsin, really, the sky's the limit because guys are going to want to come play for him. And we move into, again, the top two. Recency bias and and what he's done at all levels. I had Jim Harbaugh one and Ryan Day two. And, and again, that could just be flipped. But, again, over the past two years being recency bias, um, Harbaugh's got to be one. He's gotten the better of of Day over the past couple years. I think the the thing that separates two is – I don't feel like Ohio State is any different than when Urban Meyer was there. He's a great recruiter, talent's there, their offense is great, uh, their defense could obviously be improved, but they haven't skipped a beat. Like They didn't need to improve, they were already there. And I think Ryan Day gets a lot of criticism. If you told me he makes three college football playoffs, makes it to the national championship, doesn't win, but uh, finds his way to get, get to the games that matter, but you lose to Michigan two years in a row, and it's a failure. To put for people to put him on the hot seat is crazy. But that's how you no, measure the season. Not on the hot seat. Can't be on the yeah. hot seat. When you put Ohio State, Michigan, like what what matters to them is is beating each other. Michigan has done it, and they've done it in in, in they've instilled their will against Ohio State. And then I look at Harbaugh, who I have as number one. He he took over a Michigan program that wasn't at where they should be historically. They were they weren't a bad team, but they weren't a college football playoff team. He takes them over. He keeps pushing off the NFL. He builds his program back up, and they're winning games the way Michigan wants to win the game. With tremendous offensive line play, good defense, and of course, great running backs. They have JJ McCartney, who's been doing great, but they're winning games because of their defense, their offensive line, and their running backs, and that's because of what Jim Har- how Jim Harbaugh wants to coach it. Yet he, he had to change a lot of things he's lost coordinators but they keep finding ways to get to the college football playoffs and they're they're improving i'm not saying ohio state's on downcline but michigan michigan has rightfully leapfrogged them and i think a lot of that has to do with hardball versus ryan day yeah you can't put ryan day on the hot seat for sure i mean they were a bounce and an injury away from going to the national title game last year i mean if marvin harrison jr doesn't get hurt in that game and they still came within a a kick of winning that game so there's no chance he's on the hot seat but right now, again, just recently by Jim Harbaugh, he's finally found his legs, and he's shown it the past couple of years. They're another team that's entering this year, hoping to win the national title. Agreed. Man, breaking down the coaches, and, and we still got a week until, uh, two weeks, I should say, until Big Ten play starts. But we do get some action this week, week zero, which to me is always exciting, no matter 
no matter who's playing, because you finally get football on the television screen. And this year is even better because you got some notable teams playing. I know Notre Dame's playing Navy, USC, even though they're a, they're a five touchdown favorite, they're playing this week. <laughs> so that's where we're going to start with best our best bets of the week, which is something we'll do every week. Obviously, going to be a little shorter here. I believe there's seven games kicking off this week, so it'll be a little longer as the season goes on. Just a dive around the country. Obviously, focus on the Big Ten, but a dive around the entire country. So talk about some games in that aspect. And again, it's not many big names, but it doesn't mean you can't like something. And, and it gives you a reason to watch if you want to throw throw a wager on it. So I start with that Notre Dame game. And it's interesting to me that the line is so high. Um, I definitely would like the under. That's going to be a play at 50 and a half, I believe it is. No, uh, Navy obviously loves to run the ball. They run that triple option. And they should be able to slow things down but I believe that's also the reason they're going to stay a little closer than people think Notre Dame's had trouble getting off the quick starts as obviously everybody remembers what happened last year against Ohio State and I believe Marshall they lost to week two they're expecting Marcus Freeman to get off to a quicker start this year with Sam Hartman at quarterback and they still could do that but I think 20 and a half Navy is not just going to come in and lie down. So hesitantly, I would take the 20 and a half in that game, but I definitely like the under because the pace of play should be a bit down. Yeah, I think it's a lot. I think anytime you're, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think this game's being played in Dublin. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a, so, I mean, I, it, it's technically a home game for Notre Dame, but like they're yep. fighting Irish. <laughs> so I'm going to consider this a full-on home game. Uh, I'm curious if, obviously that Notre Dame has a massive fan base, doesn't really matter. I feel like they always pick a team that does have a massive fan base regardless of who they're playing. I mean, last year you had North, uh, Nebraska out there. Their fans are going to show up. I think a couple years ago, I think Penn State might have even went there. They're going to show up. But this is unique because it is the Fighting Irish playing in Ireland. Uh, I I definitely wasn't didn't want to take the Notre Dame with the points. Uh, I wouldn't have taken the over for the reason that you listed out. But for the reason that they have Sam Hartman back, uh, and I don't. I think it's thirty. The team total, yeah, thirty-four and a half. I, I, I'm, I'm looking at Notre Dame team total over thirty-four and a half, primarily because, yes, I think that it's possible that Notre or Navy gets a couple points or keeps keeps the game uh, under that total because of how long their possessions are going to be. But I do think you bring in Sam Hartman with that coming from Wake Forest with that slow developing read. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what the terminology is, but they, they it was like a, a RPO type of offense, but they would always find ways to get the ball downfield fast. And if, if Notre Dame can, 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 can do that, because they have talent, they have great running backs, good defense, good offensive line always. Uh, I think that if they can give Sam Hartman the keys and they can find a way to score some points, this is the perfect opportunity to do it. I think it's like an 11 or 11.30 a.m. kickoff, so we have football early on Saturday. I'm just hoping for some points, but from the Notre Dame side. So that's where I'm looking, 34 and a half. Uh, that's how many touchdowns? Six touchdowns? I can't do math right Five. now. Five touchdowns. Five touchdowns. Um, I think it's possible. Again, Notre Dame, the, the military academies are always going to fight, uh, especially uh, Navy. I don't – I think – I don't remember if they won. I think they won the uh, Army-Navy game last year. I can't remember who it was. But like those are always gritty games. But I'm, I'm curious to see what can happen. It's just always fun to watch them play. It's just a unique style of football that we don't see from any programs anymore. But Notre Dame is a team that they have. Sam Hartman is a proven guy. 
Uh, he's done it in the ACC. He's like the all-time leading passer, I think. Uh, if he can do that in Notre Dame, I mean, they've had decent quarterback play in the past, but it was never like their best part. He has a possibility to be their best player on offense, so I'm, I'm interested to see what they can do. Yeah, the tra- the they really nailed the transfer portal there with that one. That's an exciting get for them, and obviously a dream for Sam Hartman. I mean, playing in Notre Dame, that seems like a dream. I remember last year, Week Zero, my first game um, bet. You always got to bet the first game, and the first game last year, I think, was Austin P. Western Kentucky. I don't know exactly who they were playing, but I know it was Austin P. because that's a team I took getting a ton of points. So maybe get the same luck with uh, with Navy this time around. Sticking with that same sense, um, I got three that stuck out to me. Three games. That was the first one. The second one is UTEP Jacksonville State. And the reason that sticks out to me a little more, I believe Jacksonville State's playing the first FBS game, so they're cut, they're taking a, a leap up in talent. And that number's been around to pick them. You'll get Jacksonville State as a point favorite somewhere. You'll get UTEP as a point favorite somewhere. you get a pick them, I'm sure. And I know Jacksonville State's returning a lot of talent. Their quarterback comes back. They're getting their number one receiver back. Their leading rusher from last year comes back. So that's an experienced team. They're talented, obviously just taking a step up against UTEP. I don't know how good their defense is. I know UTEP can protect the quarterback. They have a strong offensive line. I think they're returning. I think I saw they're returning four or five of their guys. They might be returning the whole offensive line. So I don't know how good Jacksonville State's defense is. But this is a line play for me. When you see a number um, around a pick them, around a point for a team that's taking that step up, they're home. And, they ha- and they're returning their major offensive weapons. I'll take a chance on them in their first FBS game. you got nothing to lose in this one. Yeah, I'm seeing them plus one and a half right now on FanDuel. Uh, neither yeah, that team number's get- gonna be that number is going to be moving around all week. Yeah, and th- that's a great point. I mean, they have something to prove uh, against a UTEP team that I think Northwestern plays, and that might be one of the few games that they might be actually favored in. Uh, so... It's a close line, but this seems like it's something you, a team that has a lot to prove for a number of reasons. One and a half points, you know, getting for not for free, but you know, you never know that that could be a game where it comes down to a field goal or missed a missed extra point or something like that. You know, I, I like that. Uh, something else I was reading about another game for me. Uh, I'm kind of skipping over the UMass New Mexico State one. Just really not a game that I'm that interested in, but. Um, if I had to say something, I'd probably want to take UMass with the points there. A full touchdown, week zero against two not very good teams. It is away in North uh, New Mexico. But one game that I've liked, I did, I did some research on it. A game that I'm actually interested in, in tuning into Saturday at 7 is Ohio at San Diego State. Uh-huh. I am looking at, at Ohio plus two and a half right now. But what scares me is it's never easy traveling across the country. I'm happy for all people. Oh, I guess it's not across the country because they're in Ohio. I'm thinking coming from the East Coast. but So that's a journey going all the way to San Diego from Ohio. Um, but I, I just think Ohio's – they lost their quarterback. I'm forgetting his name, but I was reading about it. They lost him to an ACL injury last year. He was like Mac Player of the Year, I think, a year before. They have a good running back. These are the solid team that I think – May have went on and won the MAC last year, or at least competed in the MAC. I don't know if they won. I can't remember. Um, but that's a team that I'm just. I'm looking forward to watching this game. I, I am looking at Iowa with the or Ohio with the points plus two and a half, and also the under there for forty nine and a half because San Diego State always a solid team defensively. Uh, but either one of those, I, and if you want to sprinkle some money on, I think Ohio could could run could win that. But again. Uh, it's never easy traveling to California week zero uh, to, to play your away game. But 
but those are two lines that I'm interested in. The Ohio plus two and a half, and then the under 49 and a half. I don't think there'll be too many too many points scored in that one. And I feel like we just because they're going to be on TV, we've got to talk about USC um, taking on San Jose State in this game. 30 and a half I'm seeing, and it's been around there, I feel like, all offseason. Close to a five-touchdown favorite in this game. Really expecting Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley to come out firing. Um, that's what Vegas is expecting. And I can see it. Um, I'm going to look into a first-half line. I like the over at, th- at 64. And the reason for that is, I mean, 30 and a half is a ton of points. You know, that's easily a game I could see U- um, USC scoring 50. But think about, think about a line like that. You need, you know, 50 to 17 to win. You know, if the scores, if um, San Jose State scores 21 points, 50 to 21, you know, you're a loser with 30 and a half. And that's, a, that's dominating. They won the game by four touchdowns. So I'm going to take the over there, hoping that USC comes out and really puts points on the board. You know, get, score 35 in the first half, something like that. Give me 35-7 at halftime. You know, I'm always a fan of when there's long, big spreads. Good teams that are, are that are giving a lot of points. I do love looking at – I do it a lot with Alabama, looking at the, the first half lines. Let me just see what, what that line is. Uh, first half – uh, hmm. I don't know what first half spread you would be doing. Yeah, I think you said 16 and a half. I feel much more comfortable about that because they definitely have the chance to go up like 21 nothing early in like the first quarter. I could definitely see that happening. But what we have to remember about USC is I mean, what kept them out of the college football playoffs wasn't Caleb Williams, wasn't the offense, it was tackling and their defense. They, they just couldn't do the things that makes football football. They couldn't play football, I guess, in some sense. That's just classic Lincoln Riley. Exactly. And I mean, Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator, he was his guy in Oklahoma, followed him to USC. Like, that's a problem. Like, Alex Grinch needs to figure out a way to have a good defense. Like, you keep getting brought on to the next level, big programs, big contracts, and your defenses stink, flat out. Like, it's just the truth. There's no way to, to deny that. They did bring in some transfers. They got uh, the guy from Georgia on the defensive line, but they have to tackle. I don't know. I'm Hand up. You don't know much about San, San Jose State, but... You know, it, it doesn't really matter who you were playing. You were going to find ways to score points or bust off a big play against USC. Um, but I, uh, I think that I, I may have already placed a, a small, not a large one. I think I took them. Yeah, I did take them. Just, just a ten dollar bet, thirty dollars, thirty uh, to cover thirty and a half. I think they can do it. I think they're if they if they don't score a lot of points against this team, presents a bigger problem. Yeah, but it, it's funny. It's funny you said we have to talk about it because they're going to be on TV. I think this game is going to be on the Pac-12 network. Hand up! I don't know how to watch the Pac-12 network. I don't think I don't know if I have it. It's it's like the worst thing ever. I really don't think I do. I don't know if I'll be able to watch. It. I'm going to have to go to a bar to watch it. Another reason why the Pac-12 is just in trouble as a conference is because of yeah. the Pac-12 network. I mean, we we're we're going to have Rutgers Northwestern on Sunday, uh, September third, standalone game on CBS nationally televised. Rutgers Northwestern, but we're not going to be able to watch USC on, on like a what CBS, NBC, whatever. They're going to be on the Pac-12 network, hidden it's somewhere. Amazing. It's just so funny. I mean, like they they get in their own way. Like you have a great team that people are excited to watch. Heisman Trophy winner, Lincoln Riley at head coach. Let's make it hard for the average watcher to right, watch this. Right. Game. So. I mean, it's it's truly amazing. But that's just the the nature of the Pac-12. <clears throat> I like. Um, I definitely like that first half. I like the over in this game. Um, you know, if you want to get crazy, you have a few drinks over the course of the day, look at the team totals. 
Um, if I had to take a guess, USC might just by doing the math, USC might be around you know forty eight and a half, forty nine and a half, because um, they expect them to really pour it on. So that would be it. Shorter, shorter um, card this week. Not a big slate. Give me three. Give me your three best. That'll be something we look at each week too. Maybe see how we do over the course of the season. If you got to pick three, um, any oh. of anything, I'll put you on yeah. the spot right now to take them. Yeah, well, I'm just gonna have to go with what I, you know, currently have in in, in my own uh, bet slip, which is Notre Dame over 34 and a half points. Uh, so I'm excited to watch that game early. Uh, and I'm going to go with some, I think, some unders here. The under in the Ohio-San Diego State game, 49 and a half. And then let's also do, I think, the under in the Hawaii-Vanderbilt game. I know this was a game last year that Vanderbilt blew, the, blew Hawaii out of the water in Hawaii, in Honolulu. But if I'm not mistaken, that Vanderbilt stadium is under construction. I don't think it's done yet. Now, that, that stadium's not going to be the, the, the team that plays that game, but that's a distraction in my opinion. Just like the field's not ready. Is this game going to be happening? What are we going to be doing? Yeah. And again, two not very good teams. 55 and a half is a lot of points. Um, I, I can't imagine Hawaii is going to be like rejuvenated after a long flight to Nashville. So that's kind of where I stand with that. I, I typically, life's too short to bet the unders. We all know that, but... And I'm always someone that looks at overs, but that's a pretty high point total, in my opinion, for two teams like this. Uh, so th- th- those are my three best bets. On my on my level of confidence, it's not all there yet, but the week zero, week one of college football, toughest games to pick because the college football seasons are so different year to year, and the opening season or opening games is as well. But you know, another one that I, if I had to pick a fourth, I, I'm looking at USC, and I do like your. I, I think that's a good one, too. If we have to pick a combo pick, I'm on board with USC 16-and-a-half uh, first half. Yeah, I had that. You you mentioned that Hawaii game. I had them last year, and that was a game, the the classic midnight kick. I love being the midnight games on Saturdays when Hawaii starts at 11.59 yeah. p.m. They went up 7 nothing in that game. Thought it was great. I was able to go to sleep midway through the second quarter with how that game played out. Um, we'll end here with my three, and they're going to be three I talked about. I'm going to take a... I'm going to take Navy again, 20 and a half, just hoping they can keep that game close. I'm going to take a shot on Jacksonville State. Can't Nothing to lose in that one. And I'm going to take the over, uh, many things to look at in that USC game, as I mentioned. I'm going to lock in on the over 64 because I think that San Jose State might, especially in Garbert's time, put up a touchdown or two against sure. that USC defense. And that's a team they could score 50 on their own, you know, 49 um, at least get them in the end zone a bunch of times. So that's where we're going to leave it off this week. And this is the final week. It's about time that we will not be able to discuss a Rutgers game coming up. So starting next week, we'll be able to to preview some Rutgers football and get into more um, regular season talk rather than just scrimmage and training camp. We actually get to see how this team looks on the field. So definitely looking yeah. forward to that. A lot of, hopefully, hopefully, you know, by <laughs> by the end of the season, we're just as fun, happy-go-lucky about college football because we know how sometimes these seasons can go for, for Rutgers football. So hopefully things go well. Uh, I think there's reason to be optimistic, but I'm sure we'll get into that more in the upcoming weeks, definitely next week as, as we'll be on. We'll be in game week. It's an exciting time. I'm excited to see what the team can do. And, of course, another great year of college football Take in as much as it is you can. It goes by so quickly. Uh, by the time we get to like week six and seven, I'm like, oh my god, the season's like already halfway through. Like 
enjoy as much as you can. I know I got a wedding weddings here and there. I'll be watching <laughs> games at, at those weddings. You should too. College football is the best. It's the best time of the year. So I'm super excited. Amen to that. Absolutely is the best time. The NFL starts, college basketball, feast week, all this other stuff. But for now, we could get excited about um, college football starting this week, Rutgers next week. We'll be back at you same time next week to preview Rutgers Northwestern.